J.M. in the A.M. <clears throat> Erev Shabbos, Erev Tishabov here at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. It's Friday morning on this August 12th, day 8 in the month of Menachem Av. It's uh, Erev Shabbos Parshas Dvarim, Erev Shabbos Chazon. It is essentially Erev Tishabov since the 9th of Av is tonight, but of course the observance of Tisha B'Av will not be on Shabbos. It'll be on uh, Saturday night and Sunday. Uh, in this area, on Saturday night, officially, <clears throat> the fast will begin, I guess, around around five minutes to eight in that area. And uh, we'll end at some point Sunday in this area, I guess, around 8.40, but check with your local synagogue in terms of the times for Sunday. Um... Candle lighting on this era of Shabbos, 7.37, 7.37 official candle lighting time on this era of Shabbos. Just checking to make sure that that jives with other information we have here. Yeah, 7.37 is official candle lighting time on this era of Shabbos. A lot of synagogues begin earlier, make sure you know when things start where you are. Saturday night and Sunday, as we said, is the 9th of Av, Tisha B'Av. It's actually the 10th of Av, but we observe Tisha B'Av and fast, etc., starting on a Saturday night um, through Sunday night. Friday of next week, a week from today, is Tubav. I'm sure we'll speak about that at some point during the week. And, of course, next Shabbos is Shabbos Nachamu, which uh, many of us uh, look forward to. The Shabbos after Tisha B'Av. 76 degrees outside with 92% humidity. Winds are west at 5 miles per hour. Afternoon thunderstorms with a high temperature today, 96 degrees. <laughs> For those who uh, theorize that during the nine days, it is more likely that we have a heat wave, your theory has proven to be correct over the last couple of days. So 96 the high, partly cloudy tonight, a low of 80 Tomorrow, partly cloudy for Shabbos, a high of 95. This weather pattern breaks Monday, where the high will only be around 90. <laughs> in fact, Sunday, the day we fast and observe Tisha B'Av in this area, is supposed to be 96 degrees. Wow. Right now, 83 in Yerushalayim, a lot at 95, going up to 105 this afternoon. Up in Guilford, New York, our friends at Camp Missouri enjoying 70-degree weather, going up to 86 later on. They'll have thunderstorms over the weekend up there. And here in Jersey City, 76 degrees, going up to 96 later on on this Erev Shabbos, Erev Tisha B'Av, Erev Shabbos Chazon, 
here at JM in the AM. The uh, weekly update will take place at 6.40, excuse me, at 7.40 Eastern Time this morning. 7.40 Eastern Time, we'll go through the events of the week and the news of the week with Malcolm Honline. Rabbi Yudin coming up at 8.15. Um, we'll wrap up the week for us at 9 a.m. I am proud to say that we will be carrying the uh, OU's presentation of the uh, Kinos this coming Sunday starting at uh, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, right after JM Sunday with Matis. We're going to be carrying the OU's webcast that we spoke of yesterday. So you can catch that on the website at NahumSiegel.com and, of course, on the NSN app. And uh, the video, in fact, will be embedded on the uh, homepage at NahumSiegel.com. So you'll be able to access that. So there are a lot of great programs going on on Sunday. We get to carry one of them early in the day. And then late in the day, of course, we're going to carry the uh, Charlie Harari at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time as he wraps up Tisha B'Av, the final couple of hours. We'll have that for you on our stream as well at jmnam.org and nachomsegel.com, which is uh, also a great piece of news. So we will have a, a an array of great Tisha B'Av programming on Sunday, beginning with JM Sunday with Matis starting at 7 a.m. And then uh, Monday, it's uh, back to a uh, regular format, so to speak, as we like to say. On the 11th of Av, on Monday, a, a regular format here at JM in the AM. So get ready for that. Ten minutes after 6 a.m., good morning, it's JM in the AM. Rabbi Beryl Wine on this uh, essentially Erev Tishabov on the topic of the Haftorah that we read on Tishabov. Um, we lane Tishabov morning, and there is a Haftorah. And uh, Rabbi Wine has a lecture about the Haftorah of Tishabov. Here it is at JM in the AM. The Haftorah that uh, I'm going to deal with is the Haftorah for Tishabov, for the ninth day of Av, the saddest day of the Jewish calendar. And the Haftorah is uh, from the prophet Yirmiyahu. You know that there's a word in English that's called a, a Jeremiah. A Jeremiah is an elegy, a, a sad, doleful type of prophecy. Well, uh, this is the chapter that I got the word from. This Haftorah is not only uh, sad, but the Navi uh, recites it in almost a ferocious tone. And that's why it's according to the custom of the Ashkenazim, it is the Haftorah for the morning of Tishabov. The uh, Svardim have a different Haftorah, uh, which is... Uh, in its way uh, more, uh, I don't want to say cheerful, but it's less ferocious than this one. I will utterly destroy them. That's the uh, usual uh, translation of the word, I shall utterly destroy them. To gather them, meaning like to gather them off the face of the earth. Uh, it can also mean that I will gather all of the fruit and all of the food and all of the defenses possible against the enemy, and the Jewish people will be left exposed and bare. 
we'll see that uh, this Haftorah fits in very well in the description of all the times of terrible trouble of the Jewish people, and that the Novi may have had our, uh, our generation, the previous generation in mind. There are no grapes on the vine. And there are no figs in the, on the fig tree. And the leaves have withered. And whatever I gave them as a gift, Yavrim has since passed away from them. There is nothing left for them. And the Forshim here say as follows. Grapes are the uh, most uh, important of all of the fruits in the world because from grapes you can make something. Not only the grapes, you make wine, which is the has always been, at least in Jewish life, the most important of liquids. So grapes are representative. Sometimes you have people who are creative. It's not just the person himself. It's that this person can influence so many others. This person can benefit so many others. So they have been taken away. There are no more grapes on the vine. But at least you have people left, people in their own right, even if they're not necessarily effective with others, but they as a, as a person exist. That's Te'enim Ba'te'ino, the figs in the fig tree. You can't do much with figs except eat them. But the fig itself is a nourishing, sustaining food. There are no figs in the fig tree either. There are no people left. And not only that, there are people who themselves are shallow, who themselves are of little social value who don't contribute that much to society. Uh, they're there for window dressing. They're there for show. They also are not here. The their representative of the leaf on the tree, which is there for protection and for show. It cannot be eaten, but it's part of the tree also. And the leaves have also withered. Every gift that I gave them, God says, Yavrum has been taken from them by the enemy. We have this concept many times in Tanakh, and the irony of life is that a person never knows who one really toils for. I, we don't know for whom the bell tolls. You really don't know whom you're saving your money for either. Because many times... Uh, it ends up in the hands of the government or the lawyers or all sorts of things that one never imagined. And it's taken. The Avrum, it's taken away. All the gifts that one had that could have been used for a positive and strong uh, action, all of that has been taken away. Almo anachnu yoshvim. So the people who live in the scattered cities in the defenseless towns, so they say, well, what are we doing here? What are we staying here exposed? They're convinced that if they go to the main cities where the defensive walls have been constructed, that they will be saved. 
Let us come and gather and go to the fortified cities, to the cities that are well protected. So here again is the, not only the imagery of refugees on the run, uh, but the, the nature of people is to try and find some sort of refuge and improvement in their situation. So the people don't realize that it's a general calamity. They feel that they'll be safe somewhere else, which is what happened in the Second World War in Eastern Europe, that no one imagined a general calamity. And they thought that if they went to Vilna, they'll be safe, or to Warsaw, they'll be safe without realizing that there was no longer any safe haven. Benidim Hashem. Benidim Hashem will be silent there. So silence here is uh, uh, an ironic word. They say we'll be silent, we won't be noticed. We'll be able to blend into the society and we'll be able to escape and be part of it. And the Lord says, there they will be struck dumb. They will be made silent. They'll be cut off. And the Novi continues, how futile that is. Ki Hashem Elokeinu Hadimonu. The Lord our God has silenced us. So the silence is that we cannot even pray to Him. The doors are closed. Ninalu the gates of prayer are closed. Nothing could move him anymore. So there is a stage in human existence that is beyond our understanding where the gates of prayer are closed. We find that uh, in the personal life of Moshe, our teacher, who God told him it's in the parsha of Eschanon, so Moshe prayed unto God. He broke down the gates of prayer, and God told him, that's it, forget it. Stop it. And the Rabbon Shalom said, Rav it's enough. I don't want to hear anything more. So there is a, uh, the gap between our understanding of the world and our understanding, so to speak, of the nature of the Creator and the reality of it. So the Lord has silenced us. Because even our traditional weapons of prayer do us no good anymore. He has given us to drink the waters, the poisonous waters. Rosh is a poison. It's polluted waters. Because our sins have overwhelmed us. We have sinned to God. And therefore, this tragedy has occurred to us. Meirosh is a, an interesting uh, phenomenon because when the person, according to the Meforshim, when the person begins to drink the water, he doesn't realize that there's anything wrong with the water. It's not till the aftertaste sets in. It's a little like uh, Shoprite Cola. That the, it's only after the aftertaste sets in do you realize that it isn't so good and then it's too late right and here it's poisonous in fact it's corrupted it's uh, it cannot be uh, cannot be consumed 
So this also is an imagery of how the Jewish people were. They drank strange waters. They served strange gods. So while they were drinking it, they thought everything was fine. Now the aftertaste has caught up to them. Now they realize that they have poisoned their system and that God will not overlook it. We hoped for peace. But there's nothing good that happened. No good came upon us. We hoped for a time of healing. Marpe is like with an olive. This is spelled with a hay, but it's the same word. Marpe, we hope for a time of refua, time of healing, and instead of that, there is terror. Vasa is terror. The terror, the panic. That is, that, that is the, uh, the psychological fright that we know is many times as bad, if not as worse, than the actual physical danger. We saw in Israel, never the people died of a heart attack. One of my uh, Talmudim, five of my Talmudim were in Eretz Yisrael for, for these two weeks, and they came back. And one of them told me that, uh, that uh, Friday there was a uh, thunderstorm in Tel Aviv, and the peal of the thunder, people ran into the shelter because of the fact that they thought the Patriot missiles were going. That's the terror. That's the fright. He said, other Jews stood on the street and recited the bracha out loud. There's a bracha that you make on thunder. Which is, again, the same, the reaction to it. I have, uh, you know, Saddam Hussein deserves some credit. I have uh, someone in Israel that I... Uh, I've dealt with for many, many years regarding uh, certain uh, foundations that uh, the yeshiva has been able to uh, to get some money from, and we've been able to place people. And, uh, interesting. So the person is a, an agnostic, if not an atheist. It comes when they come to the yeshiva to visit the yeshiva, they like they don't know how to put on a yarmulke. It's uh, it's against their conscience, their inner conscience. But, uh, you know, Rabbi Wine's a nice guy. I always treat him nicely, and I write to him. So I wrote to him uh, two days ago. I faxed him something. And then the fact that I hope the Mirza Shem to be in Israel in the next uh, few days, relatively speaking, and that I have to meet with him, and I want to know if the meeting is on, etc. And if he could... Uh... So I got the fax back this morning. And he writes in the fax. He wrote it out with his own hand, not with a typewriter. He wrote it out with his own hand. And he says, When you come, God willing, to Jerusalem, you know, we'll talk about these and these matters. Right? The guy writes, Yeah, so you cannot say that he doesn't have some effect, our friend Saddam. But it's a frightening thing. That's the terror. Behold, we thought that there would be a time of healing, and instead it's a time of terror. Midon Nishma Nacharasusov. This is the description of the enemy. From Don in the north, we hear the neighing of his horses. We hear the noise of his horses, of the uh, 
of the uh, cavalry charging. So when the horse charges, he breathes heavily through his nostrils, so you hear that sound. So to us, uh, where we're no longer in, in horse and uh, cavalry warfare, so we would say you hear the sonic boom of the jets, you hear the explosions, you hear the sounds of war. They say that one of the uh, most frightening things in the modern battlefield is simply the noise. The noise is of a nature that it paralyzes people. So that's, we hear it coming from the north, Midon. We hear the voices, the shouts of their heroes, of their strong men. In the ancient world, even as late as the American Civil War, the rebel yell. In the south, uh, when the soldiers charged, so they had a special yell. And in all of the uh, records of the Civil War, anyone who heard the rebel yell remembered it for the rest of their lives both friend and foe. So that's the Mitzhalo Sabiro, the shouts of its heroes, the yell. All the earth trembles. It trembles because of the great mass of humanity that is moving. And they have come to consume the entire country, the land and everything that is in it. The city and all those who dwell within it. So the city refers to all the cities of Israel, but it refers always most specifically to the city of Yerushalayim, which is the city in the world. Now, because God says, I am sending amongst you Snakes that are vipers. That's the description of the enemy. Tsiphoni is a viper. That's the most poisonous of snakes. It's a snake that even that if it touches you, it destroys you. There are snakes that uh, nobody likes snakes particularly. But there are snakes uh, like the garden snake or the garter snake that... Uh, is not necessarily dangerous at all. It may even be beneficial. Keeps, uh, keeps other uh, rodents and insects out of your tomato patch. But then there are poisonous snakes, but there are poisonous snakes that a person can recover from the bite. They are not very poisonous. It's not fun, but there are poisonous And then there are snakes that are like vipers where the bite is lethal where the venom is such that it paralyzes the human nervous system in an instant. And the person can't breathe, cannot come to himself. So that's, God says, on the snakes, the enemies that I am sending you, not nice enemies. You know, America in the middle of bombing Iraq, he says today, you know, that we're going to need $20 billion to rebuild it. Right? So, you know, that's America. Now, therefore, they already got in the budget, they're going to rebuild it. But the most, uh, our enemies are Nechoshim Tsifonim, they are vipers. Asher Ein Lohem Lochash. So Ein Lohem Lochash has a double meaning. One meaning is that they have no venom, 
They have no venom, meaning uh, that they're so poisonous that you don't need any venom, right? They're just the teeth, the fangs alone kill. They don't have to inject you with a tremendous amount of venom. They are so lethal. Others learn, they make no noise. They are so stealthily careful to surprise you that they make no noise. You don't even realize that the snake is upon you. Others say, there is no antidote to their bite. Because uh, many snake bites have an antidote. And if a person injects himself with the antidote so he's able to survive, this is one that has no antidote. It has, there's no way to get rid of this bite. So all three they mean the same, that you're talking here about a snake for which there is no defense. And they shall certainly bite you. Don't think that you will escape. So we have here, uh, as I mentioned, you know, a ferocity of vision. And you'll see that the Novi doesn't even ask the Jewish people to do tshuva. He doesn't say pray to God because he says it's useless. You know, you just, you got to take it. There's nothing there. It's irreversible. It's of no use. Mavligisi ale yogon. I strengthen myself. Mavligisi means I strengthen myself in my grief, in my sorrow, the Novi says. Olai libi davoi. Inside me, my heart is sad and broken. Why? Because the Novi's been saying this for 30 years. He said, this is what's going to happen. Now he sees that everything he said comes true. So there are people in the world, Nevach, that like to say, I told you so, who have a perverse pleasure over the fact that they are right. I see they always write for the Wall Street Journal. I, I told you so. Nobody likes to hear, I told you so. Not in a family, not in a school, not in the community, not in the world. It doesn't accomplish anything. But here the Novi is genuinely heartbroken that his words have come true. Don't forget the Novi was put in jail for saying these things. He was in the dungeon. He was arrested a number of times. He was held up to ridicule. The kings of Judah said that he's a troublemaker. He's not telling the truth. The truth is that nothing's going to happen. And now he is vindicated beyond any imagination. So the Novi uh, humanly uh, would be allowed a moment, a glimpse of uh, self-satisfaction. I told you so. You didn't listen to me. Look what happened. But that's not the Novi Yermio. The Novi is heartbroken. I hear the voice, the shouts of the daughter of my people, meaning of my people, my daughter. She shouts from a far land. He sees them in the exile already. Jews scattered all over the world, far from their homes. Hashem ein is God no longer in Zion? There are no Jews there. The temple is destroyed. There's no Jewish settlement. 
we uh, who in our time uh, have never had to imagine. I always feel that when I speak in the yeshiva to the boys. So in the yeshiva, there is nobody there almost that... Uh, uh, that remembers any time when the Jewish people didn't own Jerusalem and didn't have the Western Wall, and uh, you know, to them, it's uh, you know, that's the way it's supposed to be. And there's none amongst us. There was always the, in our lifetime a great Jewish settlement in the land of Israel, but it was not always like that. In fact, for most of the time, it was not like that at all. We take it for granted take the state of Israel for granted. We take everything for granted. It's supposed to be that way. And we even have complaints that it's not the way we like it. I remember when I was a uh, child growing up in my uh, parents' home in Chicago, so uh, we used to get letters from Palestine, from my father's relatives, from my relatives. So the, the British, who always were very even-handed in, in these matters, so the stamp of Palestine had the Mosque of Omar on it. That was the stamp of Palestine. And uh, I remember my father used to peel off the stamp. He used to keep the stamps. So I once asked him, what do we need the stamps for? You know, the stamp, you can't use them here. <clears throat> so he said the stamp is printed in Hebrew. It's a Hebrew stamp. It says on it, it said Palestine in Hebrew. It said in Arabic and in English and in Hebrew. So the Eastern European Jews, if you saw a postage stamp printed in Hebrew, so that was, you know, that meant something. Different world, different understanding. So the, the God is not in Zion, right? The Jewish people are not there. Just as an aside, Israel has probably the most beautiful postage stamps in the world. They put out such a beauty. It was the 900th. Your side of Rashi. So they put out a stamp for Rashi and Rashi letters. It was just just beautiful, that stamp I have. Just beautiful. I mean, like the right thing. The right thing to do. I commented on the yeshiva in that too, that Greece never put out a stamp of Alexander the Great yet. Italy didn't put out a stamp of Julius Caesar. Right? They're all gone, right? He put out a stamp in Rashiksav, everybody caught it, you know. Everybody got, understood immediately the stamp. They didn't use the regular Hebrew, they used the Rashi Hebrew to put it out. So that's, uh, you know, that's the Jewish people. Imalka Ingba, the king is not there, the, the royal palace is not inhabited. Where is God? How could such a thing happen? So God answers, Madua hi chisuni bifsilehem, b'havle nechor. Wow, how about them? Why did they anger me for so many centuries with their idols? B'havle nechor, with the vanities of the strangers. How did, why did they do that, right? Now they ask, what happened to God? God asks, what happened to you? Now, this is the ongoing conversation, which is the story of the exile of the Jewish people. We and God never seem to get the story straight. How did it happen? Of our kotzir kolokoyitz, the harvest season has passed. Kayitz, the summer is gone. People thought that somehow we would be saved. 
and the passage of time, some miracle would come and stop the Babylonian army. A miracle would occur. It's interesting how all the contests remain the contests of the Bible, right? Babylonia, right? So we think Babylonia, Babylonia. Here it is, Babylonia. The old contests are all here. You know, Saddam Hussein uh, uh, named his nuclear reactor Tammuz 17, after the 17th day of Tammuz when the Babylonians cracked the walls of Jerusalem. He knows what he wants to do. He's not without... Uh, the only thing is he doesn't know that the Babylonians were on the 10th day of Thomas and the 17th day of Thomas were the Romans. He doesn't know the Rashi, right? That he didn't figure out. But, but his message is clear, right? So the Babylonians are back. We thought we would be saved. But we have not been saved. We have not been saved. This is a reference, a veiled reference to the fact that the Jews counted on the Egyptians to come to their aid. The Jews had an alliance with Egypt, and that was what they relied upon. The Navi said, rely upon God, and they relied upon the Egyptians, and the Egyptians never came. Al Shever Basami Hoshborti. Hoshborti means I am broken over the fact that my people have been broken. The disaster of my people is my disaster. The Novi takes it personally. Again, that's uh, a trait of identity with the Jewish people. To be able to identify with the Jewish people. I always remember that as a little boy, my Zayda never allowed the house to be painted. My, my, my aunt had arranged that the house should be painted for Pesach. It was 1943. And the Jew came to paint the house for Pesach, a paint now. And she evidently had done it without my grandfather's permission. And when in the, she, uh, my grandfather lived with them after my grandmother died, she lived with my aunt and uncle. So when he came home uh, from shul, I happened to be there with my mother. So the painter came in and started setting everything up. And he looked around and he sees the painter is there. So he asked him, what's he doing there? So he said, my aunt, uh, you know, my aunt had ordered it. So he said, well, there must be a mistake. And he went in the kitchen. He told my aunt, he said, Jews are burning in the ovens. We're not going to paint the house for Pesach. And then he went and he paid the painter the whole amount of money because he knew the Jew needed the money for Pesach. So he took care of both things. I remember that like today. He gave him the money. And they didn't paint the house. He's not going to paint the house. Jewish people are in trouble. He's not going to paint the house. But that's an, you know, a, a feeling of identity. I don't, you know, you can't criticize Jews, but it's, you know, sometimes things are hard to look at. It's hard to see, you know, how people don't feel. People don't, they're not sensitive to what's happening. They're only worried about uh, their petty things. The Novi says, I am broken by the disaster of my people. Kodarti, I have become blackened. My face is black. Shama hechizikosni, desolation holds me in its grasp. 
I am desolate. I have nowhere to go in the world. Famous passage here, Chav Beis. Hatzori ain't begilad. Is there no baum in Gilad? Is there no medicine to be found? Imrofe ain't shom. Is there no doctor for us? Is there no healer that can help us? Madu'alo also aruchas basami. Why do my people find no solace? Why do they have no healing? Why is my blow such a blow that it cannot be healed? Now this is the in the King James Version and the translation of the Bible. Now this is the famous uh, phrase, uh, Baum in Gilead. There are no Baum in Gilead. Which in the modern English they already translate, you know, there are no Tylenol in the medicine chest. And the modern one is Azeon Tam, right? It's Mamish without any sense. The, the King James Version is majesty. But, uh, you know, nobody likes 16th century English today. The, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? So the new one says, the Lord tends my sheep, I lack nothing. But the only thing you lack is sensitivity. So this is the famous phrase, Baum from Gilead. Me yitain roshimayim. Alavai, would that my head would be a source of water that I could always weep. There are so many tears to be shed and I don't have any more tears than Ovi says. I'm exhausted of tears. Aini Makordima, my eye to be the source of tears. If that would be Voevke Yomam Valaila, I would weep day and night. I would weep without interruption as Khalalei Basami over the corpses of my people, over the death that has overcome my people. But the Navi says, I have no more tears. I'm all cried out. I've wept so much that there's nothing left. So I have nothing more to say. Alavai said, I could be like in the desert, the inn that's in the middle of the desert. In the desert, uh, there were inns that were located at oases in the desert. So even though everything around is pure desolation, everything around is uh, parched land and drought and thirst, but at the inn, there is some solace. At the inn, there is comfort. So the Novi says, I'll avoid that I would be like that, right? In the midst of this desert of trouble, if I could find a place where I could find some comfort. If I found them, I would forsake my people. What do I need the trouble? But he says there's such a strong idea that there's no place in the world for a Jew to escape. Even if he wants to escape. Even if he feels justified in escaping, that God won't let him escape. I have nowhere to run. I'll go away from them because they're the ones that did it. They are all adulterers, meaning they're all unfaithful. So the idea of adultery here is not only the fact that they were sexually immoral and that that was the tenor of the society as it unfortunately was, but the 
forsaking of God and of the Jewish religion is seen as being adultery because the relationship between God and Israel is the relationship of marriage. It is not to be seen as uh, it, it's described in Shirashirim in that fashion that God, so to speak, is the, the man and the Jewish people are the women in the matter and that it's a story of love, it's a story of a relationship, it's a story of loyalty one to another. So if a person is disloyal, so you unfaithful, it's not victimless crime, which is a great phrase invented in Western society. Victimless crime, right? It's not a crime. And it is a crime because it's not just what the person does, it's what that act does to the other person. The destruction that is caused to the other person by the infidelity. So the, the Novi says, the relationship to God is like that. They're unfaithful to the Rabbonishalom. They're a convention of traitors. A convocation of traitors. Because again, the word here that's used is treachery. They're disloyal. They're guilty of treason. Vayad yechuras l'shonom kashdom sheker. The the imagery here is that a person's tongue is like a bow and is like a bow, and the words that emanate from that tongue, that's the arrow. So vayad yechuras l'shonom kashdom sheker means they have. Stepped on the bow. If you want to shoot a long way, so in the ancient world, the great archers would lie on their back and they would push the bow taut with their feet because that was, they were able to get a much greater tension than they were with their arms alone. And that was like the long distance artillery. So that's Vayadrachu, from the word Dorach, to step. They stepped on their bows. But their arrow was lies. Their arrow was falsehoods. Sheker. That became the way of life. The way of life became one of lies. To lie to each other, to lie to oneself. That's what Chazal say, that the worst of all punishments of a liar is that eventually he only lies to himself. He himself believes the lies. And they attempted to become giborim, heroes, strong men, powerful, but without faith. A person without faith cannot be strong, or rather the strength cannot be productive. Nothing good will come of it. This is the idea of Avera Goreres Avera. One sin drags you down to another one. Just as Mitzvah Goreres Mitzvah. If you do good things, so you end up doing a lot of good things. You do bad things, so then you end up with a whole peckle of Averas, right? 
always say that you come to shul in the morning, right? So you daven betzibur, you put money in the tzedakah box, you hear a word of Torah, you say to him, you go, before you know you got a package, right? You got something out of it. You go other places, so you know, it's not just the one Aveira, right? There's 15 Aveiras that come from it. Eat popcorn without a yarmulke. A lot of things happen before you know it. That's miro'o el ro'o yotzo. They went from one evil to another evil. They didn't even realize what happened to them. The osi lo yodo nu mashem. Now this is a phrase that we'll see at the end of the Haftorah. They didn't know me. What does it mean, they didn't know me? They haven't got a clue what I want from them. That's the tragedy. You don't know what he wants. You don't understand what God wants from you. And that's not as easy as people think. People think, you know, if, if they're observant, if they're this, they're that, so then, you know, they're doing it. Even the, Chazan, the, the Ramban says his famous statement, Novel Bershus Torah. There's a, a person who is a novel who is obnoxious, and he does everything that's written in the Torah. He doesn't understand what's going on. He doesn't understand what God wants. He misses it. Misses the whole point. And that's a, uh, and the Novi especially here concentrates on human relationships one with another. On the uh, Bein Odom Lachavero part of the Torah. Because the Bein Odom Lachavero part of the Torah is what has done us in over all the centuries. Somehow with God we can settle. Yeah, right? Yom Kippur, you can straighten a lot of things out with the Rebbein But a society of cruelty, a society of evil, a society of lies and infidelity can't straighten that out. They didn't know me. They don't know what I want. They don't understand. Because we'll see at the end of the Haftarah, then all he says that the tremendous person is Haskel Viadoosi, the one that knows me, the one that that intuitively knows what's supposed to happen correctly. I always tell over the story from the Chafetz Chaim that I heard here from there was a, in our community there was a, a man that was a nephew to the Chafetz Chaim who lived a very long life. He died. He was in his nineties. And he came one evening, he, went, he was not a religious Jew. And he came one evening to speak to us. We had a social evening, I don't know if you remember, by, uh, by Stern, I think. And uh, he was telling stories. So he was, uh, he was raised uh, in an assimilated home in St. Petersburg, in Russia. This is the Chofetz Chaim's family. He was raised in an assimilated home in St. Petersburg, and he uh, received a, uh, a, a private education of the time. He was taking French lessons and music lessons, and, you know, he didn't know anything about being a Jew, practically. And then a terrible tragedy happened. There was a cholera epidemic, and both of his parents died. And he was left alone. And there was no relative. So somebody in St. Petersburg knew that the Chofetz Chaim was a relative. So they took this kid from St. Petersburg and they brought him to Rodden, which is like itself a culture shock. And they brought him from this home, from this assimilated Salon home in St. Petersburg, 
that a Chofetz Chaim's uh, wooden uh, little hovel in Rod. So he said, so the Chofetz Chaim took care of him. The Chofetz Chaim himself took care of him. So the Chofetz Chaim went and hired a French teacher to teach, to continue the kid with French lessons. And he got a hold of a music teacher to continue the kid with music lessons. So, listen to the story. So the people in Raden were up in arms. The Chofetz Chaim is not from. They're teaching French in the Chofetz Chaim's house. It's not from. So they came to the Chofetz Chaim to tell him that. So I want you to understand, you know, the world never changes. The characters change, but the world doesn't change. So they came to him, they told him, Rebbe, it's past it. It's not nice in the house of the Chofetz Chaim in Raden, you know, that a boy should come in and teach French to a Jewish boy, French language. So the Chofetz Chaim answered them. He said, He said, why do you, what's your problem if the angels in heaven are smiling? Ayosin. Kids an orphan. Comes to say, well, I mean, what's your problem here? And Chofetz Chaim was on a different wavelength. He had an intuition. What would God have done in such a situation? That's what he said. The Malachim are smiling. That means that God approves of it. What would, what would Rabbi Nishalem have done? That's what he tried all of his life to try and guess. What would God do in the situation? That's really our task. Our task in being human is how would God react? Because I want to imitate him. I am his creature. I'd like to be like him. And that's what the Navi says. We always see low your bird. And you have a clue to me. That's the tragedy. That's the destruction. So everything else follows. Once you know, you know, once you lo once you lost it on the radar screen, right? So then it doesn't make any difference where you're going. The good Good news, bad news joke, right? The pilot gets on the intercom and he says, I have good news and bad news. Good news, he says, we're ten minutes ahead of schedule. Bad news is that we're lost. That's really a very good description of our world, of our society. We're ahead of schedule, but we're, we have no idea where we're going. Every man has to guard himself against his friend. The other guy's out to cheat me. I have to guard myself. I can't take anybody at his word. Terrible situation, right? But we are aware of it, right? It's not, not far different from our situation. Person's word. Every man has to guard himself from his friend. And you cannot trust your brother. Right? Business is business. Money is money. Money destroys families. Not a blessing. I'm Baruch Hashem, I'm in the, my wife is young, but I feel, you know, she hasn't got a gray hair in her shape. You know, now I'm all white. But I get, you know, with the $10 million offer from Ed McMahon in the mail. I don't even open it. They're right in the garbage. I don't want it. I really don't want it. I'm past already. So there was a time, you know, I talked myself in the eight. So, oh, you know, I'd make $10 million. I'd give $9 million to the yeshiva. 
But you do this, that, and today it's right in the garbage. Don't even want it anymore. Can't bring me any good. Cannot trust your own brother. What a play on words. Every brother is a cheater. He will cheat you. Uh, here he uh, makes reference to Novi, to Esau's taina against Yaakov, for which we are still paying. Yaakov was 100% right and legal, but Ace felt that he was cheated. He said, Is it for nothing that he's called Yaakov? He's cheated me twice. Yaakov means to cheat. And all my friends, everyone who is a friend, goes and slanders me. J.M. in the A.M. with a Ribera wine, the Haftorah of Tishabav that we'll read on Sunday morning. The 10th of Av this year as we observe Tishabav Saturday night and Sunday. It is Erev Shabbos, Parshas Dvarim, Erev Shabbos Chazon, essentially Erev Tishabav, which uh, begins tonight, the 9th of Av, but of course because of Shabbos we postpone it a day, and we really begin tomorrow night. Um, the fast begins uh, in this area somewhere around 7.50, I would guess, in that area. Check with your local synagogue, and it would end, I guess, about 8.40 on Sunday. But again, check with your local synagogue so you know when things start and end where you are. Candle lighting at 7.37 on this Arab Shabbos, 7.37. Sunday is Tisha B'Av, Friday Next week is Tuba Av. I'm sure we'll have a chance to speak about that. And, of course, next Shabbos is Shabbos Nachamu. 76 degrees outside with afternoon thunderstorms and a high of 96 degrees. 96 today, 95 tomorrow, 96 on Sunday Tishabov. As I said earlier, those who theorize that the nine days, and especially the time around Tishabov, brings us some uh, difficult weather conditions in terms of heat waves, that theory is... Uh, Proving to be correct. Uh, right now, Yerushalayim is at 83, a lot at 95. Up in Guilford, New York, our friends at Camp Masora have 70 degrees going up to 86 later. And we are at 76 here in Jersey City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. Happy birthday to Yaakov Arbach. Yaakov Arbach celebrated his Hebrew birthday this week. So, Yaakov Arbach, we say happy birthday to you from all of us here at JM in the AM. We'll do our news from Israel coming up. Galetzal, of course, will be. Uh, on the air, we uh, we have a, a great news that we're going to be carrying not only to Project Inspire to our um, webcast on Sunday night at the end of Tisha B'Av, starting at 6.30 p.m. You'll be able to uh, tune into our stream, jmnam.org, nachomsegel.com, and catch all of that. But the OU presentation of Kinnis Sunday morning will also be on the stream. So you'll be able to catch that in video and audio form, nachomsegel.com, jmnam.org. And, of course, Matas will kick off all of our programming Tisha B'Av morning starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. And that's going to be um, and that's going to be between 7 and 9, an appropriate program for Tisha B'Av on JM Sunday. So lots going on in our stream, even on Tisha B'Av Day. Monday we get back to a regular, normal format. Keep that in mind. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live. In the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org, and of course on the NSN app. You can comment on the app at any point. 
There are other events going on regarding Tishabov, and of course, we'll get to that later on in the show. We'll give you the rundown of different things that are happening, including the 2 o'clock Mincha service at the Isaiah Peace Wall that's happening at 43rd Street and 1st Avenue uh, in Manhattan this coming Sunday at 2 p.m. Bring your towels and tefillin. And um, that'll happen Tishabov afternoon starting at 2 o'clock. That's this coming Sunday. Monday, as I mentioned, regular format here at JM and the AM as we get back to a normal schedule and format, so to speak. So make sure you're tuned in with us all through next week, no matter where you are around the world, with JM and the AM and the Nahum Siegel Network. Galei Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday follows next. We say Boker Toe from JM and the AM. גלי צהל השעה שתיים, כאן שיבל קרמי מנסור עם מה שקורה עכשיו. תגובות במערכת הפוליטית על הצבעת הממשלה בעד הצעת תקציב המדינה וחוק ההסדרים. ראש הממשלה בנימין נתניהו אמר כי מדובר בתקציב חשוב, בו יש יסודות של תחרות, רפורמות, הפחתת יוקר המחיה וצמצום פערים. לדברי שר החינוך נפתלי בנט, תקציב משרדו יהיה הגדול אי פעם. התקציב הזה מבטיח שנים של חינוך איכותי וערכי לילדי ישראל. זה תקציב החינוך הגדול אי פעם. אני רוצה להודות לראש הממשלה נתניהו ולשר האוצר כחלון על ההבנה שהחינוך הוא בראש סדר העדיפות הלאומי. מנגד, חבר הכנסת איתן כבל מהמחנה הציוני מתח ביקורת על המתווה ואמר כי מדובר בתקציב מאכזב. בשורה התחתונה, עוד תקציב, והפעם אין בו שום בשורה שיכולה להוציא מאיתנו איזו קריאה של התפעלות. אכזבה שלי גדולה אף יותר כשמדובר בתקציב לשנתיים. בבלגיה נעצרו שלושה חשודים במעורבות בטרור. כתבתנו קרן בן מרדכי. בתום שיטה המספר בתים בבריסל כחלק מפעילות למניעת טרור של המשטרה הפדרלית נעצרו שלושה בני אדם, כך נמסר מהצביעה בבלגיה. במהלך הפשיטה שבוצעה בעקבות צו שופט לא נתפסו כלי נשק או חומרי נפש. שר החוץ של טורקיה אומר כי ארצות הברית עשויה להסגיר את מנהיג הדת המואשם בתכנון ניסיון ההפיכה בחודש שעבר. כתבנו מיכאל האוזר טוב. שר החוץ של טורקיה אומר כי הוא מקבל איתותים חיוביים מארצות הברית לגבי בקשת ההסגרה של מנהיג הדת הגולף, פטולה גולן, המואשם על ידי טורקיה בתכנון ניסיון ההפיכה. גולן הגיב ואמר, אם עשירית מהאשמות נגדי מוכחות, אני מתחייב לחזור לטורקיה. בתוך כך שר החוץ הטורקי אמר כי אנקרה קראה לי 32 דיפלומטים חזרה לטורקיה לאחר כישלון ניסיון ההפיכה, נוסיף שהגיע לידיו מידע שחלקם נמלטו למדינות שונות. התחזית אצלנו מחר יעשה מעט חם מהרגיל, בראשון ובשני התקררות קלה. אלה החדשות שעורך עמרי רחמימוב, בצוות איתמר דרוקמן והילה מזרחי. JM in the AM, that's uh, Galei Tal, of course, Israel Army Radio here at JM in the AM. We'll uh, conclude our lecture on the first part of the Haftorah of Tisha B'Av with um, Rabbi Beryl Wine. His lecture is available, 1-800-499-WEIN and RabbiWine.com, RabbiWEIN.com. And then we will um, continue with more weekly update coming up at 7.40 Eastern Time. Make sure to be tuned in. We... Um, we will uh, try to include as many news stories from the week as possible uh, coming up here at JM in the AM. Uh, conclusion of the lecture on the first part of the Haftorah of Tisha B'Av, I borrow wine at JM in the AM. ...of the Haftorah, and all he says that the tremendous person is Haskell Viadorosi, the one that knows me, the one that, that intuitively knows 
what's supposed to happen correctly. I always tell over the story from the Chofetz Chaim that I heard here from, there was a, in our community, there was a, a man that was a nephew to the Chofetz Chaim who lived a very long life. He died, he was in his 90s. And he came one evening, he, went, he was not a religious Jew. And he came one evening to speak to us. We had a social evening. I don't know if you remember by, uh, by Stern, I think. And uh, he was telling stories. So he was, uh, he was raised uh, in an assimilated home in St. Petersburg in Russia. This is the Chofetz Chaim's family. He was raised in an assimilated home in St. Petersburg. And he uh, received a, uh, a, a, a private education of the time. He was taking French lessons and music lessons. And, you know, he didn't know anything about being a Jew, practically. And then a terrible tragedy happened. There was a cholera epidemic, and both of his parents died. And he was left alone, and there was no relatives. So somebody in St. Petersburg knew that the Chofetz Chaim was a relative. So they took this kid from St. Petersburg, and they brought him to Rodden which is like itself a culture shock. And they brought him from this home, from this assimilated Salon home in St. Petersburg, to the Chofetz Chaim's uh, wooden uh, little hovel in Rod. So he said, so the Chofetz Chaim took care of him. The Chofetz Chaim himself took care of him. So the Chofetz Chaim went and hired a French teacher to teach, to continue the kid with French lessons. And he got a hold of a music teacher to continue the kid with music lessons. So, listen to the story. So the people in Rodden were up in arms. The Chofetz Chaim is not from. They're teaching French in the Chofetz Chaim's house. It's not from. So they came to the Chofetz Chaim to tell him that. So I want you to understand, you know, the world never changes. The characters change, but the world doesn't change. So they came to him, they told him, Rebbe, Past it. It's not nice in the house of the Chofetz Chaim in Raden, you know, that a boy should come in and teach French to a Jewish boy, French language. So the Chofetz Chaim answered them. He said, He said, Why do you, what's your problem if the angels in heaven are smiling? Ayosin. Kids an orphan. Comes and says, Well, what, I mean, what's your problem here? And Chofetz Chaim was on a different wavelength. He had an intuition. What would God have done in such a situation? That's what he said. The Malachim are smiling. That means that God approves of it. What would, what would Rabbi Shalom have done? That's what he tried all of his life to try and guess. What would God do in the situation? That's really our task. Our task in being human is how would God react? because I want to imitate him. I am his creature. I'd like to be like him. So that's what the Navi says, the Osi lo they don't have a clue to me. That's the tragedy. That's the destruction. So everything else follows. Once you know, you know, once you once you lost it on the radar screen, right, so then it doesn't make any difference where you're going. The good... Good news, bad news joke, right? The pilot gets on the intercom and he says, I have good news and bad news. Good news, he says, we're ten minutes ahead of schedule. Bad news is that we're lost. That's really a very good description of our world.
of our society. We're ahead of schedule, but we we have no idea where we're going. Every man has to guard himself against his friend. The other guy's out to cheat me. I have to guard myself. I can't take anybody at his word. Terrible situation. Right? But we are aware of it, right? It's not, not far different from our situation. Person's word. Every man has to guard himself from his friend. And you cannot trust your brother. Right? Business is business. Money is money. Money destroys families. Not a blessing. Hashem, I'm in the, my wife is young, but I feel, you know, she hasn't got a gray hair in her shape. <laughs> Now, I'm all white, but I get, you know, the $10 million offer from Ed McMahon in the mail. I don't even open it. right in the garbage. I don't want it. I really don't want it. I'm past already. So there was a time, you know, I talked myself in the eight. So, oh, you know, I'd make $10 million. I'd give $9 million to the yeshiva. I'd give this, that, and today it's right in the garbage. Don't even want it anymore can't bring me any good. Now, cannot trust your own brother. What a play on words. Every brother is a cheater. He will cheat you. Uh, here he uh, makes reference to Novi, to Esau's taina against Yaakov, for which we are still paying. Yaakov was 100% right and legal, but Ace felt that he was cheated. He said, Is it for nothing that he's called Yaakov? He's cheated me twice. Yaakov means to cheat. And all my friends, everyone who is a friend, goes and slanders me. Bears tales. Can't be trusted. Yeah, we are going to divide this after in two because one cannot take it in one. The ish yehoselu. Each man makes fun, mocks, but it means to cheat. When you cheat somebody, you mock him. An idiot. You know, he lets himself be cheated. One of my... I always um, almost make a vow. I don't, don't do it, but I almost make a vow to myself that I'm never going to go to a car dealer to buy a car. Because whenever I buy a car, no matter what, I walk out and I feel I was cheated. No matter what price. Because the, it's just just the way it works. Yeah, he's letting me have it. And, oh, this extra and this and this. And he's going to give me this. And he's going to give me that. No, I walk out. I'm, I can, you know, I feel like, like vomiting. That's Yehoselu. They make fun of you. They've mocked you. They've mocked your integrity. And they cannot speak truthfully. There are no words of truth that they can say. They have trained their tongues to speak falsely. 
that they cannot even tell the truth when it is in their best interest to tell the truth. Sometimes you know, we call that a pathological liar, that the Navi doesn't give in to uh, psychological excuses. They have trained themselves. Their tongue is trained that it doesn't say the truth. It's against the law to tell the truth. Look at the, uh, the, uh, the, in the United States, we call the, you know, truth in lending, truth in advertising bills. You know, they're telling you in advance that it's a lie. Everything it says on the first side of the page is a lie because you've got to turn around and see all the things they have to print in little print in fading ink on the second part of the page to tell you that everything was on the first part of the page isn't true. They're not responsible for it, you know. Like if you were a super saver, you know, if you go Saturday night with your mother-in-law at 11.30 at night with, a, with one bag, right, corner, you know, they got three sheets for you, like that. It's wrong. It's wrong. You're not allowed to. You're not allowed to do it. You're not allowed to say, $99 to Miami, and you only, in the little twins, you have six seats like that, and every other regular price is $400. You're not allowed to do that. But we expect it. We expect it. We're convinced that that's the way it's supposed to be. And if you get away with it, then you're a good businessman. That we convince ourselves of that. That's a terrible thing. That's lindu l'shonam daber sheker. To train yourself to speak falsehoods. So to train yourself in a whole society to do that. We pay a big price for that. I knew Rashi Yeshiva that they would look over the... Uh, the uh, brochures of the yeshiva. I remember in uh, the Chicago yeshiva, one, we had to have a catalog printed. We were going to get credits from the university, Agansa Misa. So they had to, they printed a catalog. So in the catalog, the uh, public relations man that printed it, so then we, in our yeshiva, Kanaino Hard End, there was like 330 boys in the basement. We had a big yeshiva. We had 35, 38 boys in every year. So he wrote close to 500 students. That's, uh, you know, it's close. 330 is closer to 500 than to zero. Not bad. I remember the Rabbi Fassman and the other ones, they didn't let it be printed. They pulled it. Can Yeshiva Kivan say, you say, over 300, you want to say something. Can't say close to 500. Not true. It stands against everything that the yeshiva is supposed to be. So that's the idea of limdu l'shonam daber sheker. Have nilu. Have to do things crooked. Nilu. They worked hard at it. It's just that you have to work hard to be a cheater. You have to many times work harder to be a cheater than to do it straight. In the uh, early history of the yeshiva, we caught uh, three young men who had cheated on an exam. And, and they had cheated on an exam. I mean, how they did it, you know, they, they were able to get a hold of somebody's key and make a copy of the key. And they came in like two in the morning and they figured out the combination to the safe and they got it right. So I threw the three guys out of the yeshiva. If you can, you can get a 30 in the yeshiva, and we'll keep you. Well, in fact, once you're in, you're in. But if you cheat, you're out immediately. 
All three of them have remained our friends till today. It was the best thing that ever happened to them. All three of them say that. In fact, we helped place them, etc. But they were out. So I said to them, look at the effort that you put into this. You know, if you would have put the effort into study, you would have got an A. This thing took you 12 hours to put together. You had to stay up nights and go find key. I mean, what are you, crazy? Look at all the work you put into it. Why didn't you put the way you know, study the three hours, right? You get the A. It wasn't such a hard test. So that's what the Novi says. Have nilu. They worked hard to be that perverse, to do it crooked. It doesn't come easy. Crime, you know, I think the, the guys that run the mafia could probably run, uh, you know, American Airlines all. Maybe they do. I mean, they can, uh, they're, they're putting a good hard day's work. All the schemes to beat the government, all the nefarious things that exist in the world. That's, uh, there's plenty of hard work. There's plenty of kishrin. There's plenty of genius in it. Misplaced, the Novi says. Shiv mirma. You have sunk, you have dwell in the midst of cheating. You have sunk so low that that's your way of life. And therefore everything you do is that way, the Novi says. The mirma meyanudasinumashem. So their cheating is that they refuse to know me. Because they are so and they are so wild in their behavior, they're so perverse, they're so crooked, that they refuse to reckon with me. They refuse to know me. They refuse to realize that I'm not going to let them get away with it. The oh, Novi here uh, really uh, minces no words. He pulls no punches. He says, that's what happened. That's the Hurban. If that's the Hurban, so okay, so then that's what's going to happen. I have... The Novi says, I have, no easy, uh, I have no easy way out. I have no easy way to settle it with them. And therefore, uh, once this matter is expiated, so then we'll come and talk to them again. But right now, I can't do anything. Right now, their fate is sealed. The doom is upon them. JM and the AM as we continue with part two of the Haftorah lecture uh, done by Rabbi Beryl Wine. Here on a JMNAM Friday morning, it's Erev Shabbos, Chazon, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Dvarim, candle lighting at 7.37, Saturday night and Sunday, of course, is the observance of Tisha B'Av, Matis will kick off our Tisha B'Av programming with JM Sunday, starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time, the OU webcast uh, will be carried by us at jmnam.org and alchemsegal.com, beginning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on Sunday, and of course, Project Inspire, at the end of the day, on uh, on Sunday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, the last couple of hours with Charlie Harari uh, during the fast of the 9th of Av. That's all happening this Sunday, part of our Tisha B'Av programming, which has grown over the years, I'm proud to say, here at jmtheam.org. Um, Malcolm Holmline joins us 20 minutes from now for the weekly update. Make sure to be tuned in for that. 76 degrees, afternoon thunderstorms, and a high temperature of 96 Mincha Prayer Service at the Isaiah Wall is 2 p.m. this coming Sunday, starting at uh, 43rd Street and 1st Avenue at 2 o'clock. Bring your towels and tefillin. Tisha B'Av Prayer Service, the annual service at the Isaiah Wall, 43rd and 1st. And uh, we'll go through the other events that you need to be aware of for Tisha B'Av Day coming up later on here at JM in the Amory. Barrel Wine, he is um, ready for part two of the discussion of the Haftorah of Tisha B'Av here at JM and the AM. Uh, 
means alavai, would that God would place me in the desert, and I would be like an oasis. Malone Orphim is an inn, an oasis. The idea of a desert is one of the great ideas that we have uh, throughout the Tanakh. A desert, me, it's a, it's a feeling that all of us have, that I would have a uh, terrific uh, business if I wouldn't have workers, if I could do it all myself. Or it would be a terrific society, a terrific school, or what, whatever, whatever organization we want to think of, uh, it's complicated by the fact that it's not a desert. It's complicated by the fact that there's a society that we have to contend with, and in that society are people and events uh, that are not necessarily uh, to our liking, and who uh, are a deterrent, they're a drag. They make things worse. So the Novi says, I'll avoid it. I could escape from the Jewish people and I could go out to the desert. In the desert, I would be like our father Abraham, who uh, at the beginning of time uh, ran this great inn, Malone Orchim. Guests came and he could do whatever he wanted. When you have a Jewish people, when you have the whole people together, so then... Uh, there's baggage. Uh, there are problems. It's not that simple. It's not that easy. The Ezvas Ami, I will forsake my people. The Elchomitam, and I will go away from them. Kikuomanafim, all of them are immoral, unfaithful. That's the word Menafim, that's the word for adulterous. But it means not only adulterous in the physical sense, it has many connotations here, but basically it's the unfaithfulness to God, the unfaithfulness to, uh, to tradition, and it's also the sexual immorality which was rampant. And it also is a statement that kulam menafim, everybody, he doesn't mean everybody, but he means it was tolerated. It's accepted in society. It is not something that is considered reprehensible. It's taken for granted. It's allowed. And therefore, that's why it says, they are all adulterers, because the ones who tolerate it eventually are as guilty in society as the ones that participate. Because without the societal approval, it could not reach the levels that it did. Atzeres bogdim. Atzeres means a gathering, a group of people who are traitors, who are treacherous. So traitors means traitors to their spouses, uh, traitors to society, traitors again to the ideals, uh, ideas and ideals of the Jewish people. So this we discussed before, that they have trained their tongues, kashtom uh, sheker, to be like a bow that shoots arrows of lies. They have developed that 
they, uh, that that's accepted. A little like the uh, commercial society of the world that we live in. Of, uh, false advertising and false representations. So we become immune to falsehood because we accept, we accept it and we expect it and it's part of us. And true people, true people, faithful people, they did not do well in this world, the Navi says. They're not popular. They're not strong. They're not the heroes. But those who are false, they are the ones who are heroes. I think one of the uh, statements regarding our society generally is the lack of true heroes. Most heroes in American society are uh, sports figures or other such people who uh, are uh, people who have made a great deal of money and not necessarily in a, uh, in a legitimate fashion, in a moral fashion. They're the heroes of society. And uh, part of the undoing, for instance, of uh, the, uh, the, uh, the poorer class in the United States and of the minorities, etc., is that their heroes are false heroes. They're not realistic. You have uh, 400 possible positions to be a ball player in the National Basketball Association, and you have 10 million uh, children playing in the schoolyards for the 400 positions. It's not realistic. The, uh, the fact that righteous, honest, good people not only are not held in esteem, but they are ridiculed. Uh, they are held to be uh, wildly impractical people, people who have nothing to teach us. So that's what happened to the Jewish people also. For a long time in Jewish life, in the exile, the Jewish people, even though they may not have lived up to their ideals, but they all, their heroes were clear to them. In our time, that has again become blurred in a great section of the Jewish people. Who would we really like to be? So that's the idea here. Lola Amuna Govruvarts. el from one evil, they stagger to the next evil. Uh, the uh, imagery here is of a drunk going from bar to bar. Once having embarked upon this road, so from one evil to the next evil they went. And the, uh, originally they could not have imagined themselves uh, at their final station. Couldn't imagine what they would look like at the end. But when you go from one evil to the next evil, so eventually you arrive at the final evil, the ultimate evil. The Osi Lo Yado Numashem. This we will see later at the conclusion of the, uh, of the Novi's words that the Novi considers knowledge of what God says, of what God wants, to be of, of primary importance. To know what God wants. And there are many people who uh, 
people are very far off the mark. And that's the idea that the Ramban says in Chumash that a person could be a novel virshus HaTorah. A person can be observant, he can be within the parameters of Torah, and yet he is an obscene, obnoxious, evil person because he hasn't got any identification with what God really wants. Every man has to guard himself against his friend. No one can trust anyone. And no one can trust the brother. Because every brother is a cheater. Okov Yaakov cheats. It's expected. It's part of the, again, the psyche of the relationship. It's part of the society. The Cholreya and every friend, Rochil Yahalov, walks around and spreads slander about you, attempts to undermine you, attempts to destroy you. Each man, again, he cheats. Yaselu means uh, he makes fun of the other person. He cheats him. Uh, he takes advantage of him. He exposes him as a fool, as naive. And they refuse to speak the truth. They again have trained their tongues to speak evil, to speak falsely. They have trained themselves. Ha'avei milu. And they wanted to go crooked. They attempted. They worked hard at it. So again, the Novi here brings out the fact that many times in the effort and the uh, creativity and the sacrifice required to do something wrong is as great, if not greater, as it would be to do it right. But people want to do things wrong. Somehow they find that to be uh, much more satisfying. There was an incident not long ago, a number of years ago, that uh, students stole uh, regents' exams and passed them out, etc. So the effort that went into it if they would have sat down and studied for the two hours or three hours, you didn't have to do that. It took days of planning, risks, expenses, everything. But everybody felt that the investment was worth it. Whereas uh, to do it the straight way, so to speak, to spend the time and the effort and the creativity in study so that uh, that's not acceptable. That's not that's not the way to do things. That's what that's what the Novi means. Have nilu. They worked hard to obtain this level of perverseness. They worked hard to make it crooked. It was a uh, a matter that required effort, and they followed through with it. So the, he describes that the Jewish people sank 
into a dishonest society because they sat amongst dishonesty for so long that they just simply, it's like you sit in, in garbage, so after a while you smell. So they sat in a society that was so bad that that eventually they, they could not know me. They refused to know me because of their own trickeries, because of their own perverseness, because of, they trained themselves in that society. We see in our society also it's very hard to crawl out of a, uh, of a situation that becomes, that becomes your normalcy. A whole spate of... Uh, books and uh, movies and plays about people who are involved in the mafia or involved in crime generally and they want to get away from it and they can never get out because it has become so all-encompassing that there's no way to break the ties and that's the really the greek tragedy of life is that we are bound by bonds that we have ourselves constructed now, we've ourselves done all of these things. So since they were willing to dwell in a society of iniquity, so therefore their iniquity caused them that they no longer know me. How can they have any relationship to me if they're determined to live in such a society? This uh, uh, strong and painful indictment of the Jewish people of their behavior uh, is reflected uh, in all the books of Musser and in all the works that we read throughout the exile of the Jewish people. That God uh, is far from us because we have moved so far from Him. You don't, you can't expect to uh, to find honesty in a dishonest society. You're looking in the wrong place. Therefore, the Lord God says, I am going to take the Jewish people. Tzorfum is I'm going to refine them. I'm going to anneal them in the fire. The word tzoref is to burn off the dross. When you want to have pure silver, pure gold, to the extent that you can have it, uh, so you have to burn off the alloy. You have to burn off the uh, the other metals that are contained therein. That's tzorfam. I'm going to put them through the test of fire. Uvechantim, and they will be tested. A long test for the Jewish people. Thousands of years. It's a uh, difficult exam. Kiyech what else can I do, God says. I don't have no choice. Well, how else can I do it? God, so to speak, appeals to the Jewish people. Tell me how else to do it. I tried it so many different ways. I tried it to be, to be good. I tried it with Nevi'im. I tried it with the... What else can I do? What gains your attention? We see that, uh, God forbid, but we see that troubles always gain the attention of people. So, that's what the Novi says. In God's name, what else can I do regarding my people? How else can I treat them? Their tongue is a sharpened arrow. Their tongue 
can kill. You know the famous uh, expression that children say that sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. But we know that that is not true. We know that words are far more lethal than even sticks and stones. Great damage can be done in life by words. So the Novi says, their tongue has become a lethal arrow, an arrow that kills, shochet, that shechts, that kills, that slaughters. Mirma diber. They speak only dishonest words. Shalom Esra'elu Yadaber, he speaks to his friend words of peace, good words, nice words. Uvekirbo Yosim Orbo, and in his heart he is planning the ambush that will destroy his friend. The rabbis always said that the heart of a person has to somehow be uh, in line with what he says. Rabbi say, Rashi quotes it that one of the compliments regarding the brothers of Joseph, it says, They could not speak words of peace with him. So Rabbi say, even though that's a negative thing, there's a positive quality to it. They were not hypocritical. They hated him, so they didn't, they didn't tell him, uh, you're a great guy. And in their hearts did they hate him. Their mouth and their hearts were at least the same. So you knew where you stood. So uh, hypocrisy here of talking words of peace while preparing for war, uh, of talking friendship and uh, planning the ambush, uh, that is uh, that deceit is the ultimate immorality. So God says, on them, this is a rhetorical question, to a people like this, shall I not come and punish them? Shall I not demand an accounting for their behavior? In a people, a nation such as this, shall not my soul find revenge for their behavior, for their attitudes. So again, the, what makes all of this uh, stronger, uh, worse, uh, much more difficult, is the fact that uh, God gave the Jewish people the Torah. And uh, God expects, and even today, he expects a higher standard of behavior from us. It's interesting that even in the world, the world also expects a higher standard of behavior from us. And that's part of the uh, disproportionate double standard which is applied to the state of Israel. Uh, someone phrased it very well that the, uh, the non-Jewish world expects the Jews to be the true Christians. But the world does expect it of us. The world does expect a higher standard. And we give them a higher standard. We are willing to do so. We do live to a higher standard. But God, in his measurement of us, in his demands upon us, so then if we don't live up to it, so then uh, God's anger is kindled against the Jewish people.
So the Novi, now the Novi uh, sees the Churban in front of his eyes. He sees uh, the terrible events. The prophet uh, Yirmiyo, uh, in fact, he mentions it. Uh, he says, Ani I am the person that saw it. The other prophets, and that's the, the Medrash says here, the other prophets only predicted it, so they knew it was going to happen. But there's a great difference, my friends, in life, and know that something's going to happen and actually witness it. You actually have to live through it. And the Novi therefore says, I, more than any of the other prophets, I'm the unlucky one, because I am the one who saw it happen, who was the living witness to it. Regarding the great mountains of Israel, the hills, I will now raise my voice in weeping. And in Nehi is moaning a song, an elegy, a song of, of weeping and of sadness. So this is the measure for measure to Mida Keneged Mida because on the hills and mountains of Israel is where the Jews worshipped Avodah So the mountains were destroyed. The beauty was removed. Later at the time of the second temple, the mountain was actually lowered. It was physically lowered, removed from its exalted status. Valnaus Midbor and regarding the oases that existed in the desert, I will sit and mourn. Because the churban that the uh, enemies of Israel brought to the country is such that nothing is left. He describes it in terms of a great locust that consumes everything in front of it. So that nothing is left. Even the oases in the desert are destroyed. Little like uh, Kuwait looks. Right? Nothing is left. I mean, if you just think of the enormity of uh, the destruction. So the poor Emir will have to spend some $180 billion that he has stored all over the world, but that doesn't in any way mitigate the destruction that occurred. That's what the Navi describes here. The country, the oases, the mountains, the roads are forlorn. There is no traveler that passes. Nobody walks. Nobody goes anywhere. There's no travel. No longer is heard in the countryside the sounds of the cattle meaning the sounds of domestic agricultural life. It has all been quieted. The birds of heaven, the animals of the earth, have wandered away. Halochu have gone their own way. They are no longer here. They're no longer present. They're gone. So the, uh, the history of the Jewish people in the land of Israel 
is that for hundreds, for well over a thousand years, the country was barren. There were no animals, there were no birds, there was nothing. Just stones, sand, emptiness. The Ramban says that that was part of God's plan, is that no one came to inhabit the country. All the Palestinians who are there now all came after the Jews. If you read Joan Peters' book from time immemorial, so she documents there how the entire uh, Arab immigration into Palestine is in the last hundred years. When the Jews developed the country. But the country was empty. No population. And when there are no human beings, there are no animals, nothing. A scene of ultimate desolation. So Jerusalem was mounds, you know, like tells, uh, archaeological digs, just mounds of rubble. Gal is like a, uh, a mound, a monument, a bunch of stones piled one on top of the other, Gal Aid. Ma'on Tanim, it became the home of jackals, of wild animals who live in the desert, live where no one else lives. It's a, uh, Tanim is a, uh, we translate it as a jackal, it's a type of a desert dog. It's a wild creature that lives off of rodents. It's a uh, fierce predator. But it does not live anywhere where there's civilization. It lives in the wild. There's Ora Yehuda Etain Shmoma and the cities of Judah that previously were so populous and now have become desolate. You can actually download and purchase and download um, the lectures of Ibero Wine in general, but those who, of you who want to hear the conclusion, of the uh, Haftarah for Tisha B'Av, as Rabbi Wine has been addressing this morning, or any of his Kino selections, or the Eicha series, which he has in three parts, so chapters 1 and 2, then chapters 2 uh, through 4, and chapter 5, if you want to do any of those, or his overview of Kinnis, uh These are all good ones, obviously. It's Rabbi Barrel Wine. You can just go to his website, uh, RabbiWine.com, RabbiWEIN.com, or 1-800-499-W. E-I-N. Uh, Monday, we are back to our regular format. Sunday, uh, Tisha B'Av, uh, Matis will start things off with a Tisha B'Av program between 7 and 9 on the JM Sunday slot. We'll then go at 9 o'clock to the OU and present their uh, webcast from Florida with Ray Weil, which we discussed yesterday. And then at 6.30 p.m., uh, Charlie Harari with Project Inspire on both our websites and the app. Uh, to wrap up Tisha B'Av at 6.30 Eastern Time on Sunday. We'll go through some of the other events going on a little later on before we wrap things up at 9 o'clock this morning here at JM in the AM. And um, we'll go through some of that. I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com who continue to enthusiastically recommend our live stream to their zillions of readers. If you want to read and print out um, articles uh, before Shabbos about so many different things happening in the Jewish world, check it out at jewishworldview.com. A big shout-out to our friends at onlysimchas.com, who this week, like every week, continue to include our material in their news feed of interesting stories from around the Jewish world. 
So a big shout-out to OnlySimchas.com. Check their feed every single day. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He joins us for the weekly update here on a Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Erev Shabbos Chazon, really essentially Erev Tishabov. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you very much. And we will get to uh, Malcolm's uh, Tishabov message toward the end of our conversation. We wouldn't allow... Uh, for this uh, segment to end without a message um, from Malcolm regarding the Jewish people and the upcoming observance, which begins uh, tomorrow night. I don't know if you've seen it yet, because I think it was posted just before we hit the air this morning, but there's, an um, I think, an, um, and I, I, I'm sorry for praising the New York Times, <laughs> but, uh, you know, things you don't want to happen happen during the nine days, so I'm sorry, sorry for praising the New York Times. But um, this article uh, about these uh, lost uh, tapes, uh, lost uh, audio and video of David Ben-Gurion in an interview done um, uh, back in the 70s with him, uh, just fascinating. The article's fascinating. The clips that they already have up on their site, fascinating. I I posted this morning that this article gave me even more insight into the modesty and leadership qualities of the man. You know, he insisted, after being Prime Minister of Israel, of eating lunch in the communal dining room down in Stabokare every single day, and he insisted on doing a job like everybody else in the community, and they had to make sure to give him an easy job, because after all, he was the former Prime Minister. There, there was a modesty and yet a leadership to him that I think was unmatched by, by anybody else we've seen in modern Jewish history. You agree with me? Are you saying that the leaders today are different than that? Well, <laughs> I don't know if they would be Look, doing... I think you're right. There, It's an expression of his commitment and how he viewed himself, and it was reflected in many other things, but uh, the things that they did and how they lived and the simplicity about how they lived. I don't think anybody brought any charges of corruption against him. And uh, today we just see everywhere in the world, every democracy, where there are so many accusations, charges, counter-charges, um, I guess the simplicity and the, the clarity. And then maybe if we were uh, examining in the time that it took place, it would make look differently. Yeah, but, I guess that's true. But I don't know, the way he, as somebody who didn't always have the greatest appreciation for you know observance and tradition, the way he speaks about the prophet Jeremiah, the way he speaks about the national message, which we often don't get. You know, even though we have national leaders, I'm referring to leaders in Israel at the moment, we have national leaders and international leaders as well who who are able to convey a message. There is a message of national, uh, a national message rather, that he conveyed that, again, you may be right, it was, you know, the times made the man, so to speak. But I, I, I have a copy of a letter that someone uh, gave me from an auction um, of Ben-Gurion writing to his, uh, his uh, minister of education in which he talks about that he has no fear of religious education, of giving people uh, from education, and sort of instructing him not to be worried about it and uh, to support it. Amazing. In our kibbutz, he said, I told them my name is David, not Ben-Gurion. So every morning I came to see what David has to do, and I went to do the work. This is what our prophet said, to serve as an example to other people. Come on, Malcolm! You know, <laughs> we don't have this anymore these days. 
not what you do every day, and not what we all do every day. Yeah, well, maybe in a different way, but I don't You're know. You're not to everybody in the world. Hmm. Th- thank you. Thank you for that boost of confidence. I appreciate it. Um, you've been mentioning, oh, before we talk about the election, let me just mention, uh, and I'm sure you'll join me in wishing a mazel tov, on Tuesday, the 50,000th Ole, the 50,000th Ole under the Nefesh Benefesh program, I know you're a big fan of Nefesh Benefesh, uh, will be uh, heading to Israel. The 50,000th Ole will be on that plane, the August flight that leaves Tuesday from JFK Airport to Ben Gurion, uh, a pretty amazing accomplishment, uh, 75 IDF soldiers are included among the 233 immigrants who are heading to Israel on Tuesday. What do you think of those two pieces of information? Very encouraging, especially at a time when everybody tells us the alienation of youth. You see this level of commitment that comes through as these Chaylin uh, Bodedim, the lone soldiers, who are a remarkable phenomenon and uh, uh, you know a, a testament to their parents, their education, and them. And 50,000, that's a pretty amazing number. You've been... Yeah, I'm sorry? No, it is. Yeah, that's for sure. You've been emphasizing to us how there are elections we should be paying careful attention to outside of the Trump-Hillary election, which is coming up in November and which is continuing to fascinate the American people and the people worldwide. Um, the uh, I don't know if you have a pen and paper in front of you, but uh, you may, may want to take a couple of notes. I'd love to get your comments on these. The Jerusalem Post has a uh, what I think is a really good list of um, United States election races that the Jewish community should be closely watching in 2016. If you don't mind, I just want to run through them quickly. And uh, if you have a comment on any of them, uh, let us know what you think. Uh, the first one they write about is replacing Barbara Boxer. U.S. Senator from California, and I would guess that she would be considered to be a friend, certainly, uh, over the years. So that's one uh, that we're watching very closely. Uh, Lois Franklin, Ted Deutsch swapping seats in the United House, in the U.S. House, Florida's 21st and 22nd Congressional District. There's been a redistricti- redistricting there, and two of the 18 Jewish members of the House are set to swap seats in Congress. Marco Rubio's election campaign down in uh, Florida. For U.S. Senator, that is one that, uh, again, I, I would guess we consider him a friend. Am I right, Malcolm? Absolutely. McCain and Kirkpatrick, that's the one for Senate in Arizona, and it looks like that race is really heating up. Um, Bob Dold and Brad Schneider, which I didn't know about this one, the U.S. House in Illinois' 10th Congressional District. Um, Lee Zeldin is running for re-election, the only Jewish Republican in Congress. He's running for re-election in the 1st Congressional District in New York. That's out on Long Island, and he's got a big challenge from uh, Anna Trone Holst. Um, and two more. Mark Kirk versus Tammy Duckworth for U.S. Senate in Illinois. The the Jerusalem Post puts it as a Senate race that's a battle between APAC and J Street. Kirk, a darling of the APAC crowd, facing a popular challenger in Duckworth who waxed off J Street's successes in lobbying for the Iran deal at its Democratic National Convention reception last month. What do you think of that one? Is that a good description, APAC versus J Street in that race? That's a colorful one. Okay. <laughs> and, and, of course, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, uh, everyone watching closely, if she could be reelected down in Florida's 23rd um, because of the recent uh, uh, doings at the Democratic National Convention and she being tossed into the spotlight, not for the most positive of reasons. Anything uh, specific you want to tell us about any of these or... Just a general comment about the attention we should be paying to these and other quote-unquote smaller races. 
Well, I think there are a number of other races that are very important, but these are amongst the most important. Kelly Ayat is another one in New Hampshire, also very strong supporter of Israel. Kirk, a great hero in, in terms of taking many initiatives. Uh, Lee Zeldin, in the brief time he's been there, uh, certainly others, McCain, uh, um, Marco Rubio, Ted Deutsch, uh, and, and Lois Frankel, both are, uh, Ted Deutsch is a member of the Foreign Relations Committee and a terrific uh, supporters, so the, uh, all of them uh, are important races, and it's the message I've been trying to communicate, as you know, and that is that uh, um, all the obsession with the presidential race has obscured the important races for us in Congress, and there are uh, you know great friends up for re-election. There are open races where you have uh, some stark differences between the candidates, so people should examine each one of them, study them. Obviously, I can't endorse, and I don't endorse, and I uh, don't want to apply. We have uh, uh, many important people running, and, and in some cases, both candidates are, are supportive. But people really have to look into the races. Congress has always been the bedrock of support, and we have to make sure that support for Israel is bipartisan, and continues to be uh, that there continues to be leadership on both sides of the aisle in support of Israel, and that the um, and that people not be, uh, lose sight of the significance of these elections because they're so focused, and the media is so focused, and everybody on the presidential election. Yeah. There are track records out there, as you've indicated, and uh, records to examine. Obviously, especially among the incumbents, but even those who are not necessarily incumbents, incumbents have uh, there are indications of how they would view Israel's security. And many take, have put out position papers that people could go and find. Right, and and U.S.-Israel relationships in general. So, uh, at, no matter where you are, and I know people from many different states tune in. No matter where you are, pay careful attention to these elections. And every race counts. Right. Nobody should think that take for granted any single race. Because there may be a very light turnout, there could be in different sex, sex, sectors lighter turnout. Every vote will count. And it's funny, not not that you're one who I don't I don't think you're one who's able to predict the future. You've indicated in the past that that's a well, very I've done it many times. But yeah, yeah, that's a very difficult task for you. But you've sort of been leading us down this road that you I don't know that you knew the presidential race would either not be taken as seriously as it was a couple of months ago, or that it would turn into more of a circus-like atmosphere, and uh, you've tried to maintain our focus on, you know, the, the, the races that have not turned into a circus-like Absolutely atmosphere. Absolutely right. Yeah, so kudos to you on that. Uh, a war of words has erupted between groups affiliated with the Black Lives Matter movement and pro-Israel commentators over the characterization of Israel in their policy document released last week. The policy platform titled A Vision for Black Lives is a wide-spanning document that was drafted by more than 50 organizations known as the Movement for Black Lives. It goes beyond criminal justice and touches on many issues, including education and economics. In the Invest, Divest section of the platform, the group criticizes the U.S. government providing military aid to Israel. The quote is, the U.S. justifies and advances the global war on terror via its alliance with Israel and its complicit in the genocide taking place against the Palestinian people. Israel is an apartheid state with over 50 laws in the books that sanction discrimination against the Palestinian people. How did the Black Lives Matter movement get to this point where they are uh, uh, condemning Israel and making Israel such an important part of their platform? Well, I think it's the it's something we warned about. That they call it sectionality, where the you know all of the anti-Israel movements uh, identified as BDS, but it's 
not BDS, it's anti-Israel and anti-Semitic movements that um, uh, have uh, latched on to these causes. Remember, even at Ferguson in Missouri, we saw signs at the demonstrations where people from outside of Ferguson came with signs, Free Palestine. And this has been true at the demonstrations in Washington and other places unrelated to international, let alone the Palestinian issue, where they have tried to to um, create a commonality of interest, and they're doing it on campuses as well. This is, uh, this is an outgrowth of that, a reflection of that. And I think what's important here is for black leaders to comment on the language they use when terms like genocide are used against Israel. And apartheid. And uh, certainly in a, uh, of accusing it of being an apartheid state. Uh, so I think that it's not the Jewish community. You know, it's very easy. People issue condemnations because it's easy, but it's, it's a time when we should be hearing from black leaders saying this kind of language is unacceptable, and, and while there might be legitimate concerns that they identify with it in, in the, the concerns that, that gave rise to Black Lives Matter, that this is uh, an abuse and, and uh, should come out to, to draw the distinction and, and um, show how they're being manipulated. I don't know if there are any major pro-Israel supporters among the Black Lives Matter movement who now have to you know, now that this is public information or becoming more well-known, have to make decisions about, you know, which way to go or how to act. I mean, have you heard of any of the of that of that conflict? Uh, I think the, that there are a lot of leaders who have identified with the movement, even if, whether they're members or, or founders or anything. No, I don't know, but but have certainly spoken out or identified in one way or another. And and for those who care about that cause, they ought to be in the forefront of the effort to. Uh, avoid its complication and, and tying it into to anti-Semitic uh, tropes and, and anti-Israel uh, charges. And I think, you know, that's that's really the responsibility of those who, who are, are involved or those who support it or those who have influence in those communities. It's not going to be, the, you know, Jewish leaders who are, who are going to change anybody's mind. It has to come from within that community. That's true. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial broadcasting live. The Sony and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. And, of course, on the NSN app, Erev Shabbos Chazon, essentially Erev Tishabov for us here at JM and the AM. All international humanitarian organizations need to immediately halt all aid money to Gaza until it can be proven that the money isn't being squandered by Hamas. This said by a leading Christian Zionist. The enemy of the people of Gaza is Hamas, not Israel. Hamas has hijacked the coastal strip and rules over its people with an iron fist. For decades, the leadership of Hamas has robbed its people of aid money. This according to Special Envoy to the U.N., Lori Cadoza Moore, the time has come to halt all aid money into the Gaza Strip as long as Hamas is in control. Lori's been on this show before. Many people are familiar with where she comes from, but uh, in this case, I don't think she could be considered an alarmist. Malcolm, I think the more evidence we have of this happening, the more chance, in fact, that the U.N. hopefully would question aid to Gaza in cases like this, especially if it's going directly to Hamas. What's your reaction to what she said at the U.N.? Well, this has been a long-term time in uh, coming in terms of the recognition. It's not a new issue. And we have discussed many times the corruption of U.N. agencies like UNRWA, uh, which has been true for decades, and how they have 
and not only misspent money, but utilized their agencies, the schools, etc., for incitement, for anti-Israel propaganda, for, for aiding and abetting Hamas and other agencies, and the fact that they used their, their buildings for uh, rocket placement or uh, many other uh, things, let alone the curricula and, and the um, direct involvement in, the school, in their uh, institutions in fomenting anti-Israel um, activities and, and attitudes. But this is, you know, you, you have several factors here. One, you had a UNDAP, um, United Nations Development Personnel, arrested for diverting money right. and, and taking uh, funds that were meant for other purposes, using it for that. But it's only one agency. So this calls attention to the official agencies. Then you have the NGO, the non-governmental organizations, charitable organizations, some who may have very good intention, but their funds are being uh, misused. And uh, World Vision, which gets about $200 million a year from the United States, they found out that 60% of the funds going to Gaza were diverted to Hamas, and instead of building hospitals, they're building tunnels. Instead of counseling for, uh, for young people, they were providing uh, subsidies to terrorists. And many, many things, and you're talking about millions of dollars. You're not talking, uh, you know, about small contributions. And the, uh, that, that money has been held up. You know, World Vision has stopped its activities in Gaza until it can... Uh, what they say, I think, clarify their situation. The, um, the uh, we look at the summer camps. There, thirty thousand kids are in summer camps in Hamas, being trained in stabbing, building tunnels, um, use of of uh, fire weapons, uh, many other things that that uh, are are terrible. And and we know that UNDAP money, for instance, was used uh, supposedly was used for a naval dock for for uh, terrorists to train on for the maritime unit of the. Um, of, of Hamas. So, you know, people I know don't get the significance and they see and everybody knows that there's corruption yeah. in these kind of agencies. But the fact is that, that there is significant, far, significance far beyond it. And for those, uh, just one other thing who, who always face, you know, we face criticism that Gaza, they don't have water, they don't have electricity, they don't have food. Look at Hamas in advance of the elections that are to be held in municipal elections in the West Bank and Gaza, um, shows Gaza thriving and shows that that's their message. All the new buildings, the neighborhoods, the parks, the lakes, the beachside things, and, and you know, shows Gaza that many of us have, have known, that, you know, the, the <clears throat> boutique stores overflowing with goods as opposed to the starving image which they, when, when that's in their interest, that they project that. <laughs> Unbelievable, yeah, and I'm sure you heard about the uh, the tunnel collapse this week near Gaza City. Thank God there should be many more, but the, y- yes, this is uh, we've had I think three or four in the last uh, couple months of incidents where uh, somebody was was uh, hurt, and and all of this comes at a time when you have increasing evidence of of ISIS working with with Hamas. And would be more the more reason that one would assume people would be careful about any funds that go in. You know, the Egyptians are all all the time um, screaming about this and about the the, the relationship. You know, that Hamas uh, takes in the soldiers, ISIS soldiers, to be treated in their hospitals in Gaza. They do training there. There is a there are uh, intricate relationships between ISIS Sinai and them. And, and by the way, an interesting side like that we found out this week that ISIS in Sinai, ISIS Sinai province they're called, have been digging up German-era 
landmines. And supposedly there are about 17,000 landmines left in northwest Egypt near where the battle for uh, Alamein took place in 1942. That, that's and in the Sinai or in Egypt itself? In, in Sinai. Wow. And there were three million of them. The, the Egyptian government since 1980 has been removing them, and they pay local tribesmen to dig them out. Nobody else wants to touch them. Was it, e- was, the, it, uh, was it even an issue after the Six-Day War? Was it even an issue for Israel? Well, there were areas where there was an issue near it, close to the Israeli border, but this is... Uh, this is clo- this is near Egypt. This is along the Egyptian border, and the the Iran Hamas ISIS axis, which is the part of the drive of Iran for hegemony. We see it developing. You see the uh, cooperation for training, for weapons, for military equipment uh, between them, and the um, th- this is. Th- and while they put more emphasis on Iraq and Syria and Lebanon, and less. On this, and they also because the you know the contentious relationship they have with Egypt, uh, Iran has with Egypt, and all the other Sunni countries as well, and the and and the, the, the you know the question of money so dominated the news this week because of the four hundred million dollars, mm-hmm. which I assume you want to talk about, mm-hmm. and the money, the corruption and the money coming from voluntary agencies, um, means that we have to keep the focus on these things and our government and congress has to call hearings and we have to make sure what safeguards we have or else we're just funding our enemies uh by the way just uh, uh, curious because israel was estimated that they destroyed 35 tunnels or so during the war in 2014 do we, right. what what figure are you given <laughs> when when you're briefed on these matters are we do that's we have, what day and, uh, do we have any uh, clue how many tunnels <laughs> there are or what the what the estimate is at, at of, of how many were destroyed then? No, it's how many tunnels there are today, or, or what the estimate is about how many tunnels so there are? The, the question is what, what, how you define it. On the other side of the border, there are many. The question is how many of them come under the border or across the border. That's what they're attempting to do all the time. Israel discovers them. Hopefully there are none now. Uh, is the expectation that they are, and the new technologies are being developed to uncover it? Uh, so the expectation is that there are, and there are constant attempts to to um, to do it. In fact, they say that at World Vision, uh, warehouses were used to store the equipment, and that the uh, mobile units were used to cover the entrances of the to the tunnels, to cover the the entrances for the newly built uh, tunnels, which is why you can't detect them necessarily necessarily from the uh, uh, from the air. Hmm. Um, you mentioned the four hundred million dollars. This is a, a transfer that happened between Israel and uh, between the United States and uh, and uh, to Iran. It was a deal from thirty-seven years ago where we canceled the deal, and then they gave him four hundred million dollars and one point three million, uh, uh, four hundred million and one point three billion in interest on the 400 million dollars. Oh, this is but the, the 400 million was transferred in euros and dollars, which is exactly what terrorists facilitate funding of terrorist entities. And the question was why it was done in the haste that it was and there are a very important article about the fact that the new legislation had been passed by Congress and it was being implemented and during the month in which the transfer was to take place, and had they waited until the actual 
the laws, the law was implemented in terms of its restrictions on the trading and the the ability of uh, Hezbollah to access uh, funds. It was the Hezbollah International Financial Prevention or Financing Prevention uh, Act of, of 2015, and uh, and the president signed it. But then you have this transfer that they wanted to do. And um, and it, the new law would prevent financing Hezbollah through the Lebanon banks. In fact, the Lebanese banks closed thousands of Hezbollah accounts shortly thereafter. And um, um, they and you know Nasrallah says, well, we don't need the banks to get money; we get money directly from Iran. Sure, if they have four hundred million dollars, because they give them about two hundred million dollars a year. We'll see this year if they gave them actually more. Um, so it, 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 the law banned any foreign bank from uh, from accessing U.S. financial system if they facilitate significant uh, financial transactions with Hezbollah. And, there, and Israel was not involved in that at all? No. Okay. No, not at all. Um, the uh, Turkish President Erdogan appeared to give the United States an ultimatum demanding the extradition of a cleric he believes is behind the failed July 15th coup attempt. So two questions. Number one. Can somebody who's been living in self-imposed exile in Pennsylvania for the last 17 years actually be the inspiration or the uh, practical leader of a coup in Turkey? And number two, should Erdogan be giving ultimatums to the United States? Well, this is uh, uh, <coughs> internally in Turkey, and for Erdogan, this is uh, the, the critical issue. Uh, Gulen was an imam who lives in upstate Pennsylvania, uh, in exile from uh, from uh, Turkey uh, has a network of followers, and supposedly the, in the aftermath of the coup, which he blamed on Gulen followers, there was not much of a coup, uh, except there was a lot of fight, more fighting than I think people realized here. The it, it, it occasioned a crackdown that clearly had to have had some preparation before, because you can't sack and and arrest you know uh, to, uh, totals of fifty thousand, sixty thousand people on three, four days' notice, and the arrests began almost immediately, and they, and they still continue. And they've, uh, you know, removed a lot of the leadership of the army, the judiciary, the media, closed media outlets, and arrested many people. So the, uh, the role of Gulen, uh, I mean, he is the, the boogeyman, and they have always demanded that the United States extradite him, and they're going to have to make a case. And so far, the United States says that they evidence that has been presented to them does not make the case for extradition. And extradition, which could likely mean a, a death penalty for, for Gulen, uh, means that you're going to have to raise it to a higher standard. And uh, the the Turks are really angry about it. And if you notice, the, uh, Erdogan is going to Putin, as are many other leaders. Mm-hmm. And the uh, you know his efforts to, to mend his relationships around him. Uh, but but his uh, the ability to help in, in regard to Syria and many other things as, as a member of NATO, his military being depleted as it was is a, is a significant factor. They're the second largest army in NATO. Um, so the fight over Gulen is only beginning. We're going to see the, the Turks really press on it. The relationship with Turkey and the United States is important, and it's, uh, as I said, not just because of NATO, but including that. We also saw this week, by the way, if for those who noticed uh, the pictures of Rouhani, the president of Iran, the president of uh, Azerbaijan, Aliyev, and Putin meeting, three people who have expressed great animosity and over time uh, 
about each other now are being driven together. And I have to say, I think the West is largely responsible for this, the vacuum we've left where they're looking to build new alliances. And if you know, I've warned about this on the show from years already. Russia, Iran, and who's the third? Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan. Which is threatened by both of them. And they're talking about a new north-south corridor between Azerbaijan and, and, uh, and Iran. There are 30 million Azeris living in Iran. And if there's to be a future change, they're going to be playing a critical role. And uh, when I was in Azerbaijan, you know, and know that the, from meetings with the leaders there about their attitudes towards a lot of the people, individuals, or countries, uh, this is uh, these are acts of desperation, I think. And the West ignores should just watch this. And the West ignores it or doesn't understand the significance of it. And they ignore too much of this exactly, and that's why I'm saying people should watch it. I warned about different areas uh, in advance, like it told, talked about South America a couple years ago, and that we see how far Iran has um, has expanded its reach, its outreach, and with very little resistance or or concern. Anybody here in the U.S. Congress, State Department, White House, that is concerned. Oh, yeah. What is it? Who, who care about these? Yeah, things? who is yes. concerned? I can't yes. hear you. There yes, are people in Congress no, certainly do. Because the change in the White House that's coming in January, I don't know if that's going to to spur anybody in that building to pay more careful attention to situations like this. But well, whenever you have a new administration, you hope there'll be people who will focus on different things in different ways. Um, and, and, you know, this whole tendency to play down the dangers, you know, there was a study that came out and showed Islamic State uh, killed 33,000 people, wounded 41,000, and taken 11,000 hostages over the last, I don't know what, 12 or 14 years. This is the University of Maryland that, uh, that, that studied it and showed that 30 terrorist organizations that have um, declared allegiance to the Islamic State's caliphate, the, the documents that they recovered, that were uncovered in, Syria show they're still recruiting 500 to 1,000 people a month and can field an army of about 30,000. So, and, and then, uh, you know, the, the developments now between the fighting between the rebel groups and the fight over Aleppo, where you see the rebels now coming back because they've gotten probably new weapons from Saudi Arabia and Qatar, but there's certainly an influx of, of new weapons which enable them to break through the siege that was around them. Uh, backed by the Russian, the, the siege was backed by the Russians and Hezbollah, Iran, etc., and certainly the Syrian army. And they say the Syrian army is is very tired and there's no enthusiasm, and they did not fight well against uh, this new thrust by the uh, by the rebels. The only problem is you never know who to root for in any of these fights. <laughs> That's for sure. Because they're no good guys anymore. Yeah. Uh, help me with this story. Switzerland's highest court has backed Iran in its oil pipeline conflict with Israel that's been ongoing since the Islamic Revolution in 1979. Tel Aviv is obliged to pay Tehran $1.1 billion plus interest in qu- and uh, a half a million dollars in court costs. Uh, where does this stem from? What has been this dispute with between Israel and Iran? Yeah, this goes back to 79. I mean, I think, I think it goes back to, to the time of the revolution and the overthrow of the Shah that uh, Israel and Iran did a lot in terms of business deals, uh, oil. They pur- Israel purchased think, most of, of its oil from Iran at the time, or the largest supplier of, of oil. And this was an outstanding debt that Israel said it didn't know because they didn't deliver, and they say that Israel didn't pay for what they delivered. 
that the court arbitrated and came down with this uh, judgment against Why this does court. it end up in a Swiss court? Um, because that's probably where they brought the case. It was, and I don't know, maybe the headquarters of the company would, was based there. But um, it's not I, unusual I, for people to go to Switzerland I, for... Yeah, I understand that. I, I, I just never knew that an Israeli firm was building oil pipelines in the late 1960s in the Middle East. Well, Israel needed oil, and, uh, you know, there have been all sorts of plans of other oil uh, pipelines to, to Turkey to, when you know, it depends on how the relations are with different countries, and you have to keep switching as things change. But right. now the biggest change that Israel will hopefully be an exporter of oil, not an importer of oil. And, uh, you know, there was another big fine, not, not of gas, but of oil, and hopefully this will continue to help um, to help Israel. Uh, but we see Iran increasing. They're saying that they expect to, to um, sign $25 billion in oil deals uh, with foreign countries in the next uh, year or so. We, by the way, Salah, the head of the nuclear program in Iran, uh, made an important statement, got very little coverage, <coughs> except in Iran, that they're, built, they're, signing, they're pending an agreement that's pending between Iran and Russia, uh, waiting only for Putin and Rouhani's uh, signature authorization to build two nuclear plants. And if, if those who question about the, you know, how significant the intent of Iran is, there's the answer. Unbelievable. Uh, observance of Tishabov begins tomorrow night. Malcolm, you know, we have an amazing ability as we look to the past to uh, put together national messages, but often when we are looking toward the future, it is more difficult for us to put together a national message and understand the national mission. What is your message as we approach the observance of Tisha B'Av? There's a Chinese saying that prophecy is very difficult, especially about the future. <laughs> so, and sometimes it's very difficult even to prophesize about the past, because if you see the distortions and misrepresentations, and anybody who questions why is the observance of Tisha B'Av, you have Yerushalayim, you have Harabayit, you know, people have said maybe it loses its significance, and all you have to do is look at the agenda at the UNESCO, the drive at the United Nations that we're going to see again coming back in September, where now they're talking about the agenda item is uh, the old city of Jerusalem and its walls, that when we commemorate the destruction of Jerusalem, we see those who continue to drive towards the destruction of Jerusalem. This is not past tense. It's today. Taking away the Jewish identity of every single site of Harabais, of, of the Kotel, of the Plaza, of, of Kever Rachel, and the international community ganging up, voting to, to strip them of their, through UNESCO, of their uh, the traditional Jewish names and Jewish heritage. And the people, you know, Echoing the Palestinian position, there were no temples, nothing, which is, as I pointed out before, against Christianity and as well as Judaism. Mm. But when you're sitting there, don't think that you're talking about the past. This is what is happening. We are witnessing today and how it has been throughout the ages. When they wanted to take the focus off Jerusalem, they changed it to uh, uh, Philistia, uh, which became Palestine, because they didn't want to have the name Judea. They wanted to always strip us of our right, because knowing that Jerusalem in Jewish hands is a refutation of the doctrine of more than 2,000 years, that we will disappear. And so it's more important now that we educate ourselves to what the, the Committee on Harazesim has done is, is remarkable, what people are doing at Ir David and, and at the Minorata Kotel and rebuilding Jerusalem. We should never take it for granted.
And when you sit and you read the keynotes, you will see how applicable so often the message is to today. And the third keynote that deals supposedly with the, the with worms, the, the first keynote that doesn't deal with uh, Yerushalayim, right. uh, is supposedly an allusion to the uh, Jews of worms, because when the Jews went back to Yerushalayim they, and asked them to come return with them, they said, you have your great Jerusalem there, we have our little Jerusalem here. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an important message for all of us when we see what's going on to Jewish communities around the world and the intent and the, and the, the goals and even an international community that can unite against Jerusalem, against the Jewish connection to Jerusalem, tells us why this Tisha B'Av is as important as ever. Uh, no question about it. Uh, an easy fast to you. I assume we will speak uh, Erev Shabbos Nachamu. Am I God right? Willing. Which will be two. And we will have only positive messages and news then. Well, obviously, it's two Ba'av. We have to. Right. Uh, thank you so much. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for a Friday morning Arab Shabbos Chazon here at JM. And yes, next Friday is two Ba'av. It is Arab Shabbos Nachamu. And we do plan on having a weekly update at 7.40 Eastern Time. 76 degrees, afternoon thunderstorms, a high temperature of 96, a very, very hot weather today, tomorrow, and Sunday in this area. Be careful, especially with the fast day. Uh, we will um, uh, have a full day of programming on Tisha B'Av on Sunday on our stream at jmnam.org, including Matis and JM Sunday, appropriate for Tisha B'Av starting at 7 a.m., Rabbi Weil from the OU starting at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, and Charlie Harari and Project Inspire beginning at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Make sure to be tuned in, nachomsegel.com, jamnam.org, NSN app, and take advantage of what we can offer for you on Tisha B'Av Day. This time each and every Friday. Oh, and before we get to Rabbi Yudin, just i, I got to mention this again. The 50,000th Ole from North America to Israel on the flight Tuesday Nefesh benefesh. 50,000. There'll be 233 North Americans, 75 young men and women becoming Israeli citizens and volunteering in the IDF. Um, 22 U.S. states represented, 24 families, 78 children, 10 medical professionals, the age of the immigrants, three and a half weeks to 85 years old. <laughs> and the ceremony uh, Wednesday in uh, Israel will include President Rivlin, Minister Hanegbi, Minister Landver, Director of Aliyah Absorption and Special Operations, Yehuda Shar for the Jewish Agency, Chairman of Garin Zabar, uh, Eli Ben Yosef, and of course Rabbi Fess and Tony Gelbart of Nefesh Benefesh. Mazal Tov, Nefesh Benefesh, and to the Jewish people in general. This time each every Friday, every Arab Shabbos, with great pleasure we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey. Just a moment. Joins us every Friday morning uh, regarding the Torah portion of the week. And of course today, Rabbi Yudin will address, I'm sure, the Torah portion of the week and information regarding the holiday, or I should say the day, the observance, not holiday yet, hopefully one day will be a holiday, of Tisha B'Av. Uh, good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Devarim. We begin Sefer Devarim. And our rabbis have arranged the calendar in such a way that we always read Parshas Devarim before Tish'a B'Av. 
The reason for this is that Devarim begins with Tochacha. Moshe begins by rebuking the Jewish people. He does so with a great deal of sensitivity, which is how we are to rebuke as well. But the idea is that you rebuke somebody because they have done things wrong. And this is the first thing we have to accept as we unfortunately prepare for another Tisha B'Av, that if we don't have the base HaMikdash, there's nobody else to blame but ourselves. Yes, the second base of Migdosh was destroyed almost 2,000 years ago. And that was because, as the Gemara tells us in Yuma, Daftes, because unfortunately there was a breakdown man to man. Call it Sinaschinam. And Sinaschinam doesn't mean that you hate somebody for no reason. That's sick. However, the reason that you do consider to be significant, that is chinam. Too often we focus on the wrong factors and instead of focusing on that which unites us and that which could, should bring us together, unfortunately we focus on that which divides us, period. According to the chinuch, there are two mitzvos in Parshas Devorim. They are two negative mitzvos, and both of which are related to Dionus, to judges. The first one being that an incompetent individual should not be appointed as a judge, and once an individual is appointed, he is not to um, exhibit or have year of fear from the litigants with whom he is judging. Even that, that there are but two mitzvos in Pashas Devarim, communal mitzvos, remind us of Hoshiva Shoftenu Kivarishona, how we're missing the Sanhedrin, and in contrast to, as we shall see next week, where there are 12 mitzvos, including next week, the Aseris Hadibros, the Torah itself is mourning with the Jewish people. The Shabbos is called Shabbos Chazon because the Haftorah is that of Yeshaya Hanavi. We read from the very beginning of the book of Yeshaya of the breakdown of the Jewish community, which unfortunately caused the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. And what do we read in Parshas Devarim? Moshe is recounting Jewish history and he recounts to the people about to go into Eretz Yisrael how the Tisha B'Av came about. Tisha B'Av came about because it was on that night that the Jewish people received the reply or the story of the spies, the Maraglim they believed the 10 out of the 12 who came back with a negative report and this is unfortunately summarized by King David in Tilim Kuf Vav Pasuk Chaf Dalid 106 Pasuk 24 Ouch the Jewish people turned their backs and I'm being very polite by, ter- by translating it that way literally they showed dis- 
ordain for the beloved land, they didn't believe God that it is a special land. And therefore, as we read Pasha's Devarim, we are to be reminded of the special place that Eretz Yisrael is to play in our lives. And this is all so very significant going into Tisha B'Av. I'd like to review at this point some of the basic laws of Tisha B'Av and what is different this year by the fact that Tisha B'Av is this Shabbos tomorrow and this Sunday is a Nidcha. What laws are unique to this year? So to begin with, let's begin by pointing out that on other years, not Shabbos, so Erev Tisha B'Av has its own laws. From midday on, one is not to study Torah or cut down in their study of Torah. According to many, that does not apply this year. There are different customs about learning of Pirkei Avos, but many say that since you can eat meat, as we'll discuss in a minute, and drink wine at your Shalosh Su'udos, if a person studies Torah this Shabbos afternoon, of any and all kinds, according to many as brought down in the Mishnah Brura, it is permissible. Now, in past years, meaning when it's not on a Shabbos, going into Tisha B'Av, there is a Suda Mavsekes. At that Suda Mavsekes, you know that you eat a hard-boiled egg. Does one need to eat a hard-boiled egg this Shabbos? The answer by Shalashudas, the last meal before the fast, the answer is definitively no. If you have a hard-boiled egg every Shabbos at Shalashudas, have one this one as well. But to have a hard-boiled egg specifically this Shabbos, no. There's no ash at uh, this Shalosh Sudos as well. And as mentioned earlier, one doesn't have to have meat and wine at Shalashudas, but should one desire to, you have it every week or even just this week, that's fine. From the letter of the law, you can. So therefore, until Shkia, until sunset, one um, can eat, period. Now, we stop eating at Shkia at sunset, and even removing our leather shoes, we do not do until Tseis HaKochavim, until it is definitively night. And they, basically what is done, uh, what is done is, um, we uh, recite, we wait until after Baruch in Shul, to take off our shoes, and the chazan says, Baruch HaMavdil then he takes off his shoes, he says, Baruch we take off our shoes. You are not to bring your not leather, the non-leather shoes to shul on Shabbos. That would be preparing for the fast, even if you have an Arab in your community. Therefore, remember tonight, before you go to shul, to bring your non-leather shoes and place them you know, near your seat, etc. Um, and you'll have them for tomorrow night. Okay, now, tomorrow night, Mutzo'e Shabbos, in the Shmona Esrei, we recite Atochon Antonu, 
Havdala in the Shmon Esrei as we do every Saturday night. We do not make Havdala this Motsoi Shabbos. We do recite the bracha of Borei Meorei Ha'esh. Many shuls will recite this bracha for all to be yotze before the recitation of Eicha. If one is not going to shul, one could, should recite the bracha at home. <clears throat> there is no besamim this year, neither nor, neither on Mosoi Shabbos, and neither on Saturday night when we will be making Abdullah over and only over the cup of wine. And at that time, as we'll hopefully remember, we will not say the introductory introductory psukim of Hinei Kel Yeshu Asi just beginning with the Borei Pri Hagafen in terms of the Tfilos, the Shabbos many have the uh, custom of singing the to the sad tune of Elitzio other than that the davening is the same this Shabbos we do say Avarachamim, uh, and we don't say at Mincha Tzidkascha Tzedek because tonight on the calendar really is Tish Ab'av, we can't fast until Sunday, Devarim Shebetzina Anoheg, and that is married couples should abstain from uh, marital relations tonight unless it is her Leil Tevila. Now, we go to Tishabav. Tishabav this year is Sunday, and it is a Nidcha. Nidcha means it is postponed to the next day. Therefore, one, women who are within 30 days after giving birth do not have to fast. Pregnant, and nursing women do not have to fast. And a person who is ill does not have to fast. Now, if one needs to eat on Tisha B'Av, they should make Havdolah on Tisha B'Av, not with wine or grape juice, but rather with um, beer, coffee, tea. And needless to say, you eat what you need to eat, you need what you need to drink. If one needs to drink and not eat, that's it. And you're still considered, interestingly, fasting when you follow the specific halachos. Let's remind ourselves, five tragedies befell the Jewish people on Tisha B'Av. One, it was decreed that we would stay in the desert, not enter Eretz Yisrael, as we mentioned earlier, on the night of Tisha B'Av. Both the first and second Beis Amigdosh were destroyed on Tisha B'Av. The city of Betar was captured and tens of thousands of Jews were killed on Tisha B'Av. And finally, Tunisrufus of Russia plowed over the site of the Beis Amigdosh. Now, these tragedies remind us that unfortunately this is a time when 
HaKadosh Baruch Hu relates to us in a different way. This is called a moed. We don't say Tachanun on Tisha B'Av. We are such an incredible people of belief. Listen carefully. Rav Chaim Friedlander points this out so powerfully in his Sefer. That there's no such thing as middle of the road for the Jewish people. When we're up, wow, are we up. And unfortunately, the other way, when we are down. And therefore, that in of itself shows that there is a very special relationship between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Klau Yisrael. And that is to be very much on our mind. What's prohibited on Tisha B'Av is eating and drinking, number one. Bathing, washing, anointing oneself with cosmetics, um, marital relations, and leather shoes. I think most of us are aware, in terms of eating and drinking, what it is. If a person has a question about this, make sure you consult your Rav. Children under Baram Bas Mitzvah, from the letter of the law, don't have to fast. And unlike Yom Kippur, that we train them, here we don't want to train them for this mitzvah. Please God, we're not going to have it next year. Um, now, the idea is that one should not even rinse their mouth on Tisha B'Av. One needs to wash. You wash your hands in the morning, Negovasa, to the knuckles. Right, left, right, left, right, left. You take your fingers and you can rub them through your eyes. That's it. After the bathroom, we do the same thing. Before dominating, you say the, the same thing. If a person got their hands dirty, then by all means, you can wash them. It's washing for pleasure, which you are restricted from uh, doing uh, all kinds of lotions, cosmetics, makeup uh, is needless to say prohibited on Yom Kippur. One can use deodorant, and um, one is not to wear no leather shoes on Yom Kippur. Excuse me, on Tisha B'Av, and our learning of Torah. Literally, the study of Torah gives us happiness. It is to give us happiness. And the fact that I can't learn on Tisha B'Av is to bother us. And what you can learn are those things which relate to Tisha B'Av. The Gemara in Gittin, uh, Nun Vav, the Gemara in Sanhedrin, Kuf Dalid, um, the laws of Tisha B'Av, uh, the book of Eov, one can study and the parts of Yirmiyahu, which speak about the Churban, all this could and should be learned on Tisha B'Av. Interestingly, Tisha B'Av came because there was a breakdown, Sinas Chinam, and therefore on Tisha B'Av there's no She'elah Shalom. We're not to greet somebody, we're to feel what it's like to be alone. We don't give gifts on Tisha B'Av. One doesn't take a ride just for the sake of taking a ride or even taking a pleasure walk on Tisha B'Av. Now, the idea is as follows. Until mid the day, starting this Motsu'e Shabbat, until mid the day on Tisha B'Av, on Sunday, the observance of Tisha B'Av, we sit low. We sit as a mourner. And ideally, and especially Baruch Hashem, over the years, until we have the third day, Samigdash, the recitation of Kinos has become so much more meaningful, not only with the English Kinos, with commentaries, but many, many synagogues have the opportunity.
opportunity of reading a keynote, not everyone, and discussing it and having greater insight and knowing what we're saying because the words of the keynotes per se, even if one is fluent in Hebrew. So the idea is it's a flowery Hebrew and you have to know what it's alluding to. So take the time, not on Shabbos, to study the keynotes, but Saturday night, morning, in shul, listen Study, read, understand, appreciate, give out what we are missing. Interestingly, starting Chatzos mid the day this coming Sunday, we get up from the floor. And the idea is why? Because that's when they put the base of Migdash ablaze. Now, how in the world does that give us consolation? So the rabbis tell us, because Hashem took out his anger on the, literally, on the inanimate object, the Beis Amigdash, and saved, thank God, the people. And this is something which we are to be mindful of. Ideally, one should not work on Tisha B'Av, certainly not in the morning, but even in the afternoon, if one could, one should not work on Tisha B'Av. The other point that we need to make mention of, ideally, if one can, when one goes to sleep, this Motsoi Shabbos, if they usually sleep with two pillows, try with one or without. In other words, to feel some of the discomfort. When we read Eicha, the room should be darkened at that time. And the uh, other point that we should understand is, interestingly, we don't say Avinu Malkeinu on Tisha B'Av, as well as not saying Tachanun, because that Jew has within him the Pasuk and Eicha, Korah Olay Moed, literally, it will be a Yom Tov. I just want to conclude, oh, excuse me, Motzo'ei, this Sunday evening, very important. We mentioned that a person has to eat on Yom Kippur this, on Tisha B'Av this Sunday. They make Avdallah before they eat. Now, most of us will be fasting, thank God, and we will be making Avdallah this Sunday night after Tisha B'Av over a cup of wine. You don't need to give it to a child. Anybody and everybody can eat it. All the restrictions for after Tisha B'Av do not apply this year. You can take a haircut Sunday night. You can wash clothing Sunday night. You can shower, bathe Sunday night. All restrictions are lifted except for eating meat and drinking wine. If need be, there certainly could be a wedding this Sunday night. So again, washing of clothes, washing of yourself, everything is permitted this coming Sunday night except for the um, meat and wine and interestingly the playing of music should as well wait until um, um, Monday morning. We don't put on the talus and tefillin Sunday morning but we do put them on for Mincha. I just wish to close by saying that the morning of Tish Abba'av is not only 
for ourselves, but it is for Hashem. Unbelievable. The Gemara in Chagiga, Hey Amar Aleph, tells us that Hashem as well cries, based upon the Pasuk in Yumiyahu Yud Gimel, the Mistorin Tivke Nafshi, Mipnei Geva, God has a place called Mistorim. Literally, He goes there when no one can see Him and He cries. Hashem cries for us and we cry for Him. That's very important. Oh my goodness, all year long, who's got time to focus on a base Hamikdash? And finally, who has time to focus on what Hashem is missing? And this is some of the very powerful ideas that we are to focus on this coming Tisha B'Av. The rabbis tell us that whoever properly mourns for the Beis HaMikdash will please God be privileged to um, see and to be part of the celebration. And that's what we are praying for. Columbus Abel, Al Yerushalayim, all who mourn properly for Yerushalayim were told at the end of the Gemara Tanis, Zoche Viroe Besim May we please God soon be privileged to see that very special rebuilding of the third Besamigdash, Bimhei Amenu, but until that time, we will cry for the Shechina, as indeed he cries for us. Shabbat Shalom, and a meaningful fast to all. JM in the AM, Friday morning broadcast on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Dvarim. My thanks to Rabbi Yudin, it's Erev Shabbos Chazon. We begin the observance of Tisha B'Av tomorrow night through Sunday, of course. As Rabbi Yudin mentioned, we will uh, say Havdalah on Sunday night. And at that point, we'll be able to uh, eat. Make sure to check when uh, the fast ends and starts where you are. It'll start in this area probably around 10 minutes to 8 or so tomorrow night uh, before Shabbos ends, obviously. So keep that in mind for your uh, Shabbos uh, plans. And uh, a lot of synagogues will begin Mincha early tomorrow. Um, So keep that in mind as well. Uh, and Monday we will be in our regular format. Monday morning we'll be in our regular format here at JM in the AM. And um, uh, don't forget, Sunday we are providing, as most of you know by now, a, a really a full day of effective Tisha B'Av programming, beginning with Matis Weingast and JM Sunday, starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time on the stream at jmtheam.org and on the NSN app. Then the OU's presentation of Rabbi Wild down in Boca Raton. That'll happen with Kinnis. That'll happen starting at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Catch it on our stream. And 6.30 p.m., it'll be Charlie Harari with Project Inspire, uh, starting at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time on our stream. Make sure to check it out. That's the last two hours of Tisha B'Av in the, in the Eastern Area, in the Eastern Time Zone. And uh, every year they do a great job. Charlie does a great job, and they all do a great job, uh, Project Inspire, in making it a very meaningful end of fast. Um, the day after Tisha B'Av is Monday. The 11th of Av will be here, and of course, leading up to next Friday, which is Tuba Av and Erev Shabbos Nachamu, we will get back into our regular format. A lot of events going on, as we know. Mincha at the Isaiah Peace Wall across from the United Nations takes place at 2 p.m. on Sunday. Bring your talis and tefillin, of course. 
2 o'clock Sunday. Uh, you can unite with uh, Tishabov. Excuse me. You can unite this Tishabov with over 50,000 Jews in one of 700 gatherings around the world. The Chavetz Chaim Heritage Foundation has this year's Tishabov Worldwide event entitled Opening the Door. This year's presentation, sponsored by Debbie and Elliot Gibber and family, will feature many incredible Torah personalities, including Rav Shmuel Kamenetsky, Rabbi Yitzchak David Grossman, Rabbi Yitzchak Friend, Rabbi Pesach Krohn, Rabbi Warren Goldstein, and Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson. Log on to powerofspeech.org. Find the location in your neighborhood for this year's Chavetz Chaim Heritage Foundation Tisha B'Av event. Again, it's called Opening the Door. It's powerofspeech.org. Make sure to uh, log on and participate. In addition, uh, the Tisha B'Av Kumzitz we told you about that uh, Kantor Benny Rogaznitsky told us about is happening uh, after Echa, 10 o'clock Saturday night at Parky Synagogue, 164 East 68th Street in New York City. There'll be Cantor Benny Rogoznitsky accompanied by Chilu Posen and the Mazamrim Choir. Uh, there's no charge, but they do request that you RSVP. It's parkysynagogue.org, parkysynagogue.org. A Tisha B'Av Kumzit, Stories and Songs of Jerusalem. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, 10 p.m., parkysynagogue.org for information. Again, the synagogue located at 164 East 68th Street in New York City. Uh, Project Inspire, we've told you, has the film called The Formula, a compelling 50-minute film presentation with insights from Rabbi Cutler and from Rabbi Hillel David. Uh, you can log on to um, uh, the Project Inspire website and get information about that. And uh, again, they will be bringing you Charlie Harari at um, 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Sunday final two hours of the fast, and we will have that for you on the uh, stream at jmnam.org, nachomsegel.com, etc. And uh, Amcha, the Coalition for Jewish Concerns, and I don't think they formally did this, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to say that this year's Mincha service is uh, in memory of Mr. Deer, who never missed a Tisha B'Av Mincha service with us. Uh, it's happening 2 p.m. this coming Sunday, the 39th annual Tisha B'Av prayer service at 43rd Street and 1st Avenue in New York City, across the street from the United Nations. And uh, bring your towels and fill in, participate. We hope to be there um, this year. Um, most of the time we do get there. We'll try to be there this year. But whether we're there or not, I hope you're there to uh, support the Jews of Israel and Jews in danger around the world. And uh, that starts at 2 o'clock. Bring Talos and Tillon, 43rd and 1st on the west side of the street, west side of 1st Avenue in New York City. Uh, we are going to play It's Time to Say Good Shabbos, which we do even on Erev Shabbos Chazon. And today I'm dedicating it to the woman who walked over to me at the Mizrahi this past Sunday after our program on Yerushalayim and said that that us playing this song every Friday for years inspired her return to Jewish observance. It was quite a thing to hear. Uh, time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at JM&M. The sun is going down It's shining through the trees Another week's gone by Become a memory So throw away your hammer 
Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners, sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmn.org, and on the NSN app. Thanks so much for tuning in. An easy fast to everybody, a meaningful fast to everybody. Don't forget, we have great programming all through Tisha B'Av, including Mat this Sunday morning at 7 Eastern Time. Rabbi Weil at 9 o'clock Eastern Time and Charlie Harari, 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, all on our stream at jmnam.org and on the NSN app. Have a uh, wonderful Shabbos, an easy fast, a meaningful one, and Monday morning we'll get back into our regular format here at JM in the AM. Until then, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.